This is Jocko Podcast number 183 with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. Not one of the guys on the ground had liked this mission. Now, moving to within a click of their target, they had pushed that distraction from their minds and were solely focused on the deadly challenge before them. Glancing at the GPS attached to the stock of his rifle and scanning the terrain ahead, Lieutenant Commander James Reese called a quick perimeter. Snipers were already moving up to the high ground as team leaders joined Reese for a last quick update before the final push to the objective. Even with all the technology at their disposal, things could go wrong in a heartbeat. Their enemy was cunning and highly adaptive. After 16 years at war, the Afghan saying, the Americans all have the watches, but we have all the time, rang a bit more true than it had in the early days. What do you think, Reese? Asked a huge beast of a man looking like a creature from another world with his AOR-1 patterned camouflaged body armor and ops core half-shell helmet with nods firmly in place. Reese looked at his most seasoned troop chief. The light green glow of the nods illuminated through the beard on the man's face. A slight smile that could not be mistaken for anything other than the confident look of a professional special operations soldier. It's just over the rise, Reese replied. Predator shows nothing moving. No sentries, nothing. His troop chief nodded. All right, guys, he said to the other four men in the circle. Let's do it. They rose with resolve and moved with the poise of men who were comfortable in chaos, moving up the rocky ridge line to get their teams in place before approaching the target to make entry. This is too easy. You're thinking too much again. It's just another mission. Then why this feeling? Maybe it's just the headaches. The headaches had plagued Reese for the past several months, finally prompting a visit to Balboa Naval Medical Center before this deployment for a series of tests. Still no word back from the docs. Maybe it's nothing. But maybe it's something. Reese had learned a long time ago that if something didn't look right, then it probably wasn't. That judgment had kept him and his men alive on many a deployment. Everything had lined up a little too easy for this target. The intel, the offset infill, the current state of the objective area. And why the pressure from higher authority to go after this target? When was the last time a flag-level command injected itself into a tactical planning process? Something wasn't adding up. Maybe everything's fine. Maybe it's the headaches. Maybe it's a a bit of paranoia. Maybe I'm getting too old for this. Focus, Reese. This wasn't the first time that they had approached a target they had suspected was a possible ambush. At one point in the war, when Intel had pointed to the high possibility of an ambush corroborated by multiple sources, both human and technical, Reese would have knocked on the door with a thermobaric AT-4 or a few 105 rounds from an AC-130 gunship. 
This was the first time that actual tactics had been dictated from higher, from men who would not be on the ground. Focus on the mission, Reese. One more check with the Tactical Operations Center, a forward-based command also called the Talk, and a look at the Predator feed. Nothing. Another check with the sniper teams. Nothing moving. Reese glanced up at the military crest of the hill in front of him. Through his nods, he could see the assault teams set and ready to move. He couldn't see the snipers, which gave him cause for a thoughtful smile. Best in the business. Reese keyed his radio and opened his mouth to give the order to move. Then it all went black. The explosion knocked Reese back 10 yards and ripped his helmet from his head as the entire military crest of the hill in front of him erupted in a concussion of violence and death. Teammates, friends, husbands, and fathers who one moment earlier had represented the best special operations force in the world were gone in less than a second. Somewhere, a true believer is training to kill you. He is training with minimum food or water, in austere conditions, day and night. The only thing clean on him is his weapon, and he made his web gear. He doesn't worry about what workout to do. His ruck weighs what it weighs. His runs end when the enemy stops chasing him. The true believer doesn't care how hard it is. He only knows that he wins or he dies. He doesn't go home at 1700. He is home. He only knows the cause. And those right there are two excerpts from two books. The first one, a book called The Terminal List, and the second book, a book called True Believer. And these books are fiction. They are novels. And with the exception of the novel Musashi by Eli Yoshikawa, I have not covered any novels on the podcast, but I'm actually not here to talk about those novels. The novels, these books, were written by a SEAL, a SEAL that I knew, and a SEAL that is here with us tonight to share his experiences in the teams, what he learned, how he ended up where he did as a retired SEAL officer a husband, a father, and a writer 
of fiction. His name is Jack Carr. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. It's great to be here. Yeah, man. Good, good to finally get you out here. I know we tried to hook this up for a little while. Yep. It's, uh, it's good, and, and, and you sent me your latest book, and I said to myself, okay, well, let's just make this happen. Awesome. So, yeah, man, let's talk a little bit about you. Well, that, that's hard. Well, I've never heard that uh, true believer read quite so well. So I used to <laughs> read that to my guys in the teams and then read your uh, laws of combat, uh, read those to them. Kind of to, and, the, and that one would you know, just kind of set the stage. About yeah. what the theory, who we're going after here, yeah. uh, and then your laws of combat, which, uh, of course, I um, yeah pass on to everybody I've ever worked with uh, ever since. Right on. Man. You probably found a couple of them in the book, and for those that uh, <laughs> that read them, there's a couple. I put them in italics, you know, <laughs> to give you credit. So. Check. Uh, so let's let's talk a little bit about you know where it all started. You, yeah. Where, like your what year were you born? Yeah, seventy three. Okay, so, uh, so you're kind of a youngin. I'm a well. What are you? Are you, are you one year old? Seventy one. Okay, got it. Yeah, no, I'm a child of the eighties though. You know, those yeah. formative years were uh, like eighty to eighty nine. And, and you grew uh, up in NorCal. NorCal, and my mom was a librarian from a very early age. This were you is rural area do. or city area? Uh, uh, rural. Yeah, I mean not too rural. Mm. Small town, I'd say. Small town. Yep. Yeah. So north of San Francisco. Check. There. Um But uh, it, well, today is D-Day, yeah. um, so probably appropriate we talk about that. My grandfather was killed in World War II, so from a very early age, uh, was surrounded by those silk map. He was an aviator, Marine, mm-hmm. uh, flew the Corsair, which is that plane Dang. that had the, the gull wings oh, yeah. that would fold up. Um, right about that time, there was a, the show Black Sheep Squadron on, okay. uh, on TV. I went to an air show and met uh, Pappy Boynton before he passed away. Wow. I got his book signed, and um, so I always knew that uh, the military was where I was going. Um, just earlier on, I didn't know exactly what that was going to be. But uh, Did you ever think about trying to be a pilot? You know, fleetingly, I'm sure I did. Uh-huh. But, what about uh, Marine Corps? Uh, fleetingly, as a pilot, just to follow in the footsteps of my grandfather. Um, but then it became very obvious that, uh, that my skill set lay at a more uh, primal level on yeah. the ground. It was just attracted to that for some reason. <laughs> uh, probably a lot of, you know, well, in the DNA for sure, but also the influence of popular culture, the mm-hmm. books and movies that I read growing up. Um, those are the guys that I that I wanted to be like and, and uh, had backgrounds that I, I wanted to have one day. But um, my grandfather didn't make it back from, from World War II, so he was killed off Okinawa in 1945 wow. in May, so near the end of the war. Yeah. And uh, but his his wings made it back. Old pictures of his uh, black and white pictures of his squadron, him by his plane. The yeah. silk maps they gave aviators back then, because if they hit the water with paper, yeah. they'd just disintegrate. So we had these silk maps. Um, so I just grew up with him, really, as kind of the, the ideal hero, I guess. Um, obviously, never met him, and neither did my dad, because he was uh, born while he was deployed. So uh, so grew up with just knowing that the military was my calling. There was never anything else I wanted to do. And then early on, I found out what seals were. And your mom was a librarian. Yep. Yep. Still is to this day. And so, so were you into reading? Yep. Yeah. I grew up surrounded by books and, uh, yeah, just always naturally gravitated when I got to be about fifth grade, I'd say towards the things that, uh, the adults are reading at the time. So Tom Clancy, David Morrell, Nelson DeMille, AJ Quinnell, JC Pollock, uh, Mark Olden, these guys in the eighties that had protagonists with SEAL backgrounds or CIA backgrounds mm-hmm. or special forces backgrounds. So, um, not having the internet and not having that many nonfiction books written about SEALs, uh, that's what I read. And I knew this is where I'm going. And then after that's done, I want to write fiction like these guys. So those are the two things that I wanted to, to do with my life. How old were you when you actually found out about the SEAL teams in fifth grade? Uh, seven. So th- se- second grade. 
second grade. grade. Yep. You found out about the SEAL teams? Yep. From what? So back then there were four channels back then growing up. So there was like ABC, CBS, NBC, and then that one outlier channel that always had some <laughs> World War II movie on it going all the time. And uh, I was at remote control back in the late 70s. Yeah. So um, Sundays were football days, and I was not interested in football at all. Um, but I was interested in that war movie that was playing opposite yeah. football. So at a commercial, my dad would look at his watch, and I can still remember it to this day, sitting on the couch, and he'd say, go. And then I'd have two minutes to run up, change that channel to that outlier channel, and then sit back down, watch that movie, and then he'd say, turn it back back to football two minutes later. So I got to do that, and, and I just wait through the football parts and then mm. run up and change it to whatever war movie was playing. So this causes and, uh, attention deficit disorder without maybe. question. <laughs> yeah, I'd be trained for early that incredible patience and imagination. you got to fill be. in the blanks during, That's it. <laughs> during the that play. That might be it. That might be it. And uh, yeah, so one of those movies was The Frogman. And uh, oh, okay. it uh, showed these guys climbing up over the beaches ahead of a conventional force landing and putting explosives on these uh, obstacles. Yeah. And I asked my dad, hey, who are these guys? And uh, he said, those are frogmen. And I said, okay, what's well, a frogman? He said, ask your mother. <laughs> so, uh, so I did. And then we went down to the local library because she would take any, any excuse to get us to the library and do research, show us how to use the Dewey Decimal System, pull out the card things, the whole deal, and uh, did a little research. And there was hardly anything written back then. There was a couple magazines that had mentions of SEALs, mm -hmm. um, a couple nonfiction books that had a chapter or a paragraph or two yeah, on SEALs. Was not much. Not much at all. And, uh, but my takeaway was that these guys are touted anyway as one of the most elite fighting forces in the world. And the training is the toughest ever devised by our modern military. Arguably, that was my takeaway. Yeah, of as a course, that's kid. the same thing. We all know that's that's all <laughs> yeah. arguable now. Exactly. And there's all kinds of different hard parts of all different training. And yep. if I I never went to ranger school, and if I did go eat an MRE one MRE a day, I would Brutal. not I would not be a happy camper. Brutal. But you know, so everyone's got their little their yep. little challenges. But oh, yeah, yeah. I, I heard the same thing. Exactly. And, so and, they had me. And yeah, and you find out that it's a. So what did you do? Did you start preparing for it physically? Yep. Oh yeah. What everything, did you start doing? Everything I did from that. So I guess I did an early form of CrossFit, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, before uh, before CrossFit was a thing in high school. So mm -hmm. not in the, you know, in the younger years, junior high, I was still playing soccer, yeah. and running Just around doing cross country, stuff. doing all that sort of, but I do credit cross country uh, in those hills in Northern California with giving me for whatever reason that no, never quit. Uh, I see people stopping on the hill that would just give me energy. Were you like a pretty good runner? I was okay, yeah, I was good. Check. But there were some guys that were really, really yeah. good. Um, mine was just you know dogged determination, really. Mm. Um, so I was pretty good, but not the greatest. Um, and uh, you know, but I love it when I'd see people walking, especially yeah. on the hills when people yeah. from the flatlands would come up to our <laughs> course and uh, and they'd hit that first hill and just walk. It would just devastate them, and that would just I just feed off that. Kind of like in Hell Week when people would quit. And I always yeah. feel bad talking about this, but. I mean, it's true. Some people would say, come back. No, don't quit. Come back. I didn't say one word. Yeah, see you I was later. Like, this is, this so is Sally. Exactly. This is what <laughs> this program is designed to do. Uh, yeah. And so I kind of fed off that, I guess. I loved it, especially when the biggest, strongest, fastest guys for those yeah. first three weeks or whatever it was, of Buds, uh, quit the first couple What's hours. What's up with just studs just quitting? First couple of hours. I don't know. People said that was going to happen. Yeah. And, uh, and it did. Yeah, and I mean, I'm, studs where yeah. I thought to myself, wow, this guy seems like a complete stud. Yep. Mentally, physically, yep. just legit, and then just quitting. Yeah, right away. How is that? I don't know, but I would look at these guys when I first showed up to Buds, and I'm like, man, that guy's huge. How? And, he, and he's doing great climbing these ropes, and he's not even yeah. using his legs. Yeah. And like, oh my God, look at him go on those monkey bar things. And geez, how, how am I going to make it through if this guy, this guy like, there's a guy like that here? Yeah. And then he quits. I'm yeah. like, oh, I see how this works. <laughs> yeah, you're mentally like weak. Exactly. <laughs> I can do this. Yep. So, so you did running? 
Yep. You did cross early country. On. Yep. Early on, did that stuff. Soccer, um, lacrosse in uh, in high school. But then I'd ride my bike to school, which was, I don't know how long, like, not at least 10 miles, I mm-hmm. guess. So early morning, Northern California, cold. Um, and because that was, was part of training. And then I'd get home and we had this uh, kind of play set, whatever, from when we were kids. And, and I'd do, you know, pull-ups and all these holding different you know, trying to trying to make an obstacle course mm-hmm. for myself when I got home. And I would be knocking out like 20 pull-ups at whatever, 13, 14 years yeah. old, and then go have like some pasta mm-hmm. or a piece of bread with butter yeah, uh, yeah. on it for my snack. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> and started training uh, started training martial arts pretty early too. Um, but I, didn't, I was searching because yeah. uh, uh, local Taekwondo place, yeah. right? And you're doing some kata stuff and you're and learning you, a little bit. And you, you're... you're even here, how old were you? Uh, that would probably be fresh, about 14, let's say. So even as a 14-year-old, you're like, well, like this, this seems like it may work, but it also seems what like... I, what if someone hits me in the face? Maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it won't work. Even right. as a 13-year-old, yep. kind of picked up on that. Yep. Which is, I give you credit. Well. Because them guys can be convincing, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's how you see these videos of people online that are making oh. people fall down by pointing oh, at them and hilarious. yelling their key eye at them. I know, it's and hilarious. People, people literally fall down yeah. and start shaking. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. But I think I grew up also, like, talk about that, uh, yeah, the influence of popular culture. Uh-huh. So, uh, you know, Rocky movies, I was just, wow, man, that's fighting right yeah. there. I want to learn how to do that. How do I learn how to do that in Northern California? Well, there wasn't really a place to go. But uh, that, that tenacity, you know, that getting up every time you get knocked down, like, I think those things really wore off on me. Like, I mm. took that seriously um, and still do to this day. What kind of music were you listening to? I didn't really do the music thing until uh, the last few years, really. really. I was like, quiet. Yep. yep. I realized I'm starting to give music less credit than I used to. For I used to look at, I used to, when I meet people and I talk to them for a little bit, I'd go, oh, what kind of music did you listen to growing up? Because it would always kind of fill me in about kind of who they were because when when we grew up, you you only listened to what you kind of, you, you didn't get exposed to a bunch of stuff. You kind of had to figure it out and mm-hmm. go down that channel. And so if you listen to heavy metal, okay, I see, you know, I see what you were doing or you listen to, you know, Leonard Skinner. Okay, cool. I get where I get. I, you could just kind of know because people wouldn't say, because what does everyone say now? What do you listen to? They say everything because everything's free and they can listen to all these different kinds and it's right. just wide open. And that's what all these kids say nowadays. I, I listen to everything, a little bit of everything. And so. <laughs> Don't offend anyone. Yeah, yeah. And so you just weren't even into music. No, nope, not until I got my driver's license and then I kind of, you know, had to because you had other people in the car and they bring a cassette tape, a mixed <laughs> mix tape, and, uh, and put that thing in. And uh, for whatever reason, when I grew up, people listen to uh, stuff like 60s, 70s. Yeah, yeah, stuff, same like with me. Leonard, yeah, well, well, my dad had a, a, a Barracuda and the, the car. Like the sports like, car yeah, type like thing, muscle car. Like a 73 Barracuda, Dang. yellow with, and, it, and you're saying it impressed. Yeah. But it was not, because <laughs> it, was, it was my dad being a broke teacher, needed a new car, and went out and paid whatever, 1,800 bucks yeah. for this car that was rusty, but it had an eight track in it. And oh, so, nice. and my dad, I think he had one eight track and it was Hank Williams, like Hank so Williams. that was it. Yeah, mm-hmm. Hank Williams Sr. Yep. So we listened to a lot of Hank Williams when I was growing up. We had Kenny Rogers. Yeah. yeah. We had the gambler. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> we had the gambler every morning getting dropped off for school. It wasn't yeah. an eight track. I think my dad was an early adopter. But, oh, he's uh, big yeah, he time got a, going, yeah, he got going a crazy with the cassette yeah, player. Exactly. And I remember to this day, every day on the way to school was the gambler. Yeah. All right. So what did your dad do? 
Uh, he was an attorney at that time, and then got into real estate okay. later on, and then uh, retired early. And so, okay, so you're you're now. At what point did you say, okay, I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna go for sure. Like, at what point was this? Ten years old? Was this twelve years old? Seven. Seven years old. Yep. All right. Yeah, this is what I'm doing. I'm going. And what made you decide? Any anything else significant from high school? You're you're playing soccer. You're playing lacrosse. Yep. You're running. You're running, doing pull ups on the monkey biking, bars. Whatever. Trail running. All that sort of thing. Just getting ready, thinking about uh, about my next steps, and knowing that there was going to be a little bit of pause there to go to college first, just in case, because we have to have contingency plans. Okay. Tertiary, so secondary. so you looked and said like, okay, I'm going to go to college. Yeah. Yeah, that first. I needed to do that because I needed to get uh, stronger, bigger, faster, um, and uh, I thought I needed to anyway. Right. I don't know if that's the case or not, but probably um, not. But you were just more humble, and you were thinking, you know, "Hey, I need to be in better shape." Yeah, and I thought there was eight guys on a SEAL team, and uh, I was going to be one of those guys. And if I was going to be one of those guys, I needed to be in the best possible shape. And, and at that time, the best possible shape looked like Stallone and looked like Arnold. <laughs> uh, so I did not look like either of those guys. So, uh, and I still don't. I never did, but uh, but I thought I need, to hit, I need to hit the iron here. I need to uh, get boxing, and I did a little bit in high school. So uh-huh. uh, so fat, go back to that uh, martial arts school, the Taekwondo thing. There was an instructor there that uh, kind of knew that this wasn't quite the deal, like mm-hmm. a brown belt in Taekwondo. Mm-hmm. And then uh, for my last, I guess, year and a half of high school, uh, he wanted to start his own thing, and so he'd I'd go pick him up in my car because he didn't have one, and we'd go to the local park and we box, <laughs> and it was like jab, reverse, hook, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and the, hey, other, you know, the basics, and yeah. uh, and that was awesome. One, I two, loved three. It. I absolutely loved it. That wins a lot of street fights. Yeah, exactly. The one, um, two, three. Yep. I learned what a takedown was, you know, like because he did some wrestling. Oh, okay. So I got to do a little of that. This uh, guy was an early MMA exactly. pioneer. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> if only he had a car. Yeah. <laughs> he could have really made something happen. Such a great. And he's, and he's still doing it today. Yeah. Mike Valentine is now. I haven't seen him in years, but he has a uh, a place up in Northern California, and he's still still doing it. And as soon as he found out about jujitsu, he was doing that. Oh, good um, for him. He was driving to San Francisco and working out with whoever was the San Francisco guy in the early 90s, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I guess maybe so, we're talking about Half Gracie. I don't know. Charles Gracie, maybe. There's a bunch of options up yeah. there, yeah. But nobody was really doing that. Nobody was mixing stuff up like that, that I knew about anyway yeah. in my little town of whatever it, you know, however many people it was. Um, but then I just kept on that path. Just kept, and I thought it was going to be a lifelong path. And uh, but I peaked in about '95. And that was in college. Yeah. So you so you end up going to college. What do you what did you go to study college for? Uh, well, I wanted well I wanted to get out of there as soon as possible so I could get to the SEAL teams. Um, and so justice studies seemed to be the criminology seemed to be sure. the, the thing that you could just. Hey, that's kind of interesting, and uh, I can get through this thing in four years and get to the teams. And your backup plan would have been been some kind of cop or something like that? I guess, but I didn't really waste too much time thinking about a backup plan. I just knew that college, having that degree was the backup plan, but I'd figure that out later. It was full-on devoted to figuring out how to get to the teams and then be in the best shape I could mentally, physically, spiritually before I got there. When did you go to a recruiter? What year of college? Uh, after I finished. Oh, after so after finished. you finished college. And I thought it was going to be like Forrest Gump. Like you, you go to the recruiter and there's a bus waiting outside <laughs> and you walk through and you get on the bus and off you go. Like, Isn't I didn't funny know. how totally ignorant yeah, it's crazy. the military I, until you do it? Yeah, you know, I mean, I did research enough to find out that there was something called a dive fairer program, okay. and my uh, my recruiter didn't even know what it was. But I it was in the back of a book, and I forget the name of the book—a paperback book that talked about all sorts of different special operations. And like, and then it had like one paragraph on how to get to those places. And but the seal it said 
dive fairer program. Mm-hmm. So I went in there. It was a kind of a, a scam. I did that. I did that program too. Total scam. Yeah, yeah. Like they get you to sign on for six years, and uh, they say you get you guaranteed a chance to to try out. Yeah, like, that's all I need. That's what I want. Buds. I want yeah. the guarantee to try out. That's all I need. And uh, then you get to boot camp, and everybody got a chance in when I was there anyway to try yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is that? I signed up for six of these guys for four, and we all get the chance. Dang it! Uh, but anyway, ended up spending the uh, the twenty years in anyway. Yeah. So you you what year was it that you actually enlisted in the Navy? Ninety six. 96, so got out of college. And I thought, like I said, I thought I was gonna walk on that bus and then I'm training and I roll my ankle and it, you know, I'm like, oh man, it's gonna be the end. And I can't believe it's like this huge. I thought it was broken. Uh, ended up just being, you know, whatever. Bad uh, sprain. Yeah, nothing. Plus I mean, you're 20, huge, whatever. It's, it's How black old were and blue, you? 21. And uh, yeah, so you think, you know, you're seeing this black and blue ankle that's huge. And uh, it's like, oh man, what did I do? I was running, I, why was I training that day? I should've just take, I should've just relaxed, mm. not gotten hurt. And then so I was on crutches for a couple months and uh, then got back after it and got in the pool. How was long good. was it from the time you enlisted until the time you shipped out? Uh, gosh, you know, there's all those things you're supposed to do ahead of time when you're on, uh, what do they call it when you're supposed to be going to classes? Yeah, and yeah. Right. I didn't do any Maps. of that. Maps, Maps, I think. Yeah, I didn't do any of that stuff though because it was encouraged. But I, somewhere I found yeah. out it was not mandatory, yeah. and I was like, okay, good, because I don't want to have to, you know, do whatever these ten push-ups with these people. I need yeah. to be actually training. Um, was it a month though? No, it was. Uh, it was months. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. years. No, it was like five months. Like maybe. five months or something. Yeah, yeah that's just a, like a little heads up to people. Like you think what like what you thought, which is what I thought. Hey, once I sign up. I'm just gonna get on a bus and that's right. cool. I'm good. Yeah. And really, you, you gotta go survive yep. for another five months or exactly. six months as you're waiting to go because they have certain billets allowed and all this stuff. So it's kind of a pain. Yep. And you gotta do the medical stuff, the dental stuff, take the ASVAB mm-hmm. uh, and all that sort of thing to get ready. So those, uh, I think, a couple trips over to the main recruiting station to do all those sorts of things, get everything, the paperwork in line, and then uh, then off you go. So, and then I was in, now they have every, all the people that are going to be in some sort of naval special warfare yeah. or something it's more, square, it's more squared away now. Yeah, I think yeah. so. They go through like, they go to, they go to Chicago, I think for eight weeks to so. get ready for BUDS. Yep. So you showed up to BUDS, were you ready for BUDS? Uh, as, as, I was as ready as one could possibly be mm-hmm. you know, with all that training and all that thought. And then I knew, hey, there's no way I'm quitting because all my friends from growing up knew that I wanted to do this since I was seven. And uh, so there's no way I'm quitting. I'm going to die. I can't go home yeah. and tell them I didn't make it. You know what's weird is people do that right there and they still quit, Yeah, which, which boggles my mind. I, 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 the, the, the quitting thing is hard for me to comprehend. And when I hear about people doing it, like people like that, you know, there was a guy that killed himself I recently know, and he was that guy and and he had told everyone I'm going to be a SEAL and he had trained for it and he prepared for it and he looked like a stud. He looked like a beast of a kid and he played lacrosse and he was varsity this and captain of that. I mean, and then he got to buds and for whatever reason, he quit and then he and then he killed himself <sighs> and you just think, man, like. Whatever they're telling you in buds, you don't quit. That's it. <laughs> That's know? it. Just don't quit. It's pretty easy. Yeah. Just do not quit. And I know they play psychological games on people of saying, you know, they'll say, you don't belong here and all this kind of stuff. I don't even remember if they said that to me. I didn't right. care what they said to me. It wasn't even right. penetrating you yeah. know, anything in my brain. Uh, but, but you know, that's what they do. They, they'll say, oh, you don't belong here. We don't want you on the team. And somebody that's sensitive to that 
it can get through to them sure. and, and make them start believing that the instructors actually, the instructors are going to leave and go order a pizza. They don't, they're not yeah. actually thinking about that, you know, no. but they take some kid and they quit. And, and you know what? Good. Like you said, like good. If someone has that, if someone is going to quit, please quit during buds yeah. for sure. Didn't Did you guys have, watch uh, Full Metal Jacket? I mean, yeah. there's all these movies that uh, they show drill yeah. instructors and what yeah. it's like. People and are going like to yell at you. People are going to scream at you. It's going to be a big game. Exactly. Did you have any trouble with anything at Buds? So sw- I swam uh, before I got there, and I'd, I'd wake up super early, meet the master swim program at 5 in the morning because um, I knew swimming was my weak point. I mean, I swam. I had no problem swimming, mm-hmm. but I wasn't a, a competitive swimmer. You were um, so much more prepared for Buds than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just like, even the fact that you analyzed like what your strengths and weaknesses weaknesses were I was just super <laughs> dumb <laughs> I was just like that's oh. another way to go yeah and it worked out yeah but I was young <laughs> too which is beneficial yeah. you know it's beneficial just to be young because you're just going to adapt right I mean your brain isn't even completely developed right. until you're what 24 something like that so I know 18 19 years yeah. old I was just full full adaptation to yeah. whatever they're telling me and that's about. what you have to do in life in general <laughs> but uh but i remember i distinctly remember going to the pool so I'm, I'm rehabbing my ankle at this point um and i'm going to the pool now and it's it's outdoors and it's this is frost, pre-buds, pre-buds okay, yeah so there's sure. like not snow but that frost layer of frost on the pool deck so once you got in it was actually kind of warm but you still have to walk across that pool deck and jump in with these people that are way older but way faster i was definitely the slowest person in this master's swim program because these people had you know swim Competitively, and now they're 40, which was old at yeah, the time, yeah. 42 years Oldest old. Oldest person you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> and they're swimming at five in the morning. Dang. Um, but uh, so, I, so I did that. So I was prepared uh, for the water. And I grew up in the water, essentially. I scuba, scuba diving at age nine. So I was comfortable in the water, which Dude, helped you, out like, later. Once again, you were so much more prepared for months. <laughs> I was like, you know, well, I mean, I, I, knew, I, was, I could swim and I surfed as a kid and that helped, but I definitely wasn't scuba diving. Yeah, well, I was di- free diving for abalone up north. Um, so that's been with all those green. Now I, would, I don't oh, know if yeah. I do that now. It's like a great like, breeding ground up yeah, there. Yeah, for sure. But abalone was amazing. I loved it. We'd camp out up there and just have a great time. But, but even though I prepared like that, the swims were hard. And that first swim, because it's that underwater recovery stroke, yeah. and in 1996, they didn't teach you. Now they teach you how to do this thing. Yeah. Now they get in the water. Here's your little basics. Here's how you do it. Bring your head up, whatever. Um, so I'm like, what stroke is this? None of the books talked about this. Let me try to do it. We well, get this in and, the master's uh, program. And, yeah, it was not in the master <laughs> swim program. Um, and I was third to last. I remember getting out of that first swim where they pair everybody up and whatever they call it, the two weeks before you class up, whatever that thing is called. Um, and I was like, man, I'm third to last. And I can stagger out of the water. Like I put out on this thing and I'm like, wow, what's anyway, so they pair me up with this really slow guy. Um, and I think he quit right away. So then they paired me up with somebody else who was faster. Um, so I'm barely making the swims in first phase. And uh, then one of the guys in my class was a uh, water polo player uh, from like USC or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, hey, you want me to teach you how to do this stroke? I'm like, yeah, it'd be great. <laughs> and so we went out behind the barracks thing and went out in the, in the, in the ocean yeah. um, and uh, he just showed me how to do it. And I went from being third to last to the next swim, I was third. There you go. That was awesome. And I was never third again. I was like fifth or sixth, whatever. Yeah. But from going from third to last, I distinctly remember, to then coming out third after learning the stroke, I was like, yeah. I got this. It's different to swimming with fins too. And the way they, they teach you to do it is yeah. a little bit different, whatever. Yeah. But now they prepare. Now you're prepared yeah. going in physically. Like that uh, that eight weeks they spend in, in uh, Chicago, they learn the strokes, they learn to, how to lift the logs and not hurt themselves and how to uh, you know use the there's, boats. There's and, instructions on how to lift the logs? Uh, Pretty sure. Oh yeah. wow! How to climb the ropes, mental toughness classes, all that stuff. Because they uh, went, but you know what happened? Of course, 
once those guys showed up and they were expecting a lot more seals to come through now because they needed more in 2003, five, four, five, six, we need more seals. So let's do this program. And now we just got the fitter quitters. And yeah. uh, so same, yep, essentially. That's the crazy thing. Yep. The crazy thing is the attrition rate doesn't change. Exactly. Fitter quitters. Fitter quitters. I like that. Because mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how many pull-ups you can do. I mean, it does matter. And people say to me, well, is it mental or physical? It's definitely both. If you can't do, if you can't climb a rope, you're not making it through. It doesn't matter how bad you want to <laughs> climb a rope. If you haven't put in the work, you're not going to be able to climb a rope. Yeah. But yeah, you can get some fitter quitters exactly i always say that any average high school athlete physically can do can it. make it through buttons. totally agree it's uh totally but agree. it's the, the, the obviously the metal part there that comes in and you get guys that are in amazing shape guys that were olympic athletes or whatever mm -hmm. it is and they quit right away and i think a lot of that and like the guy that killed himself maybe maybe he hadn't you know faced adversity yeah. in the uh in the, the the ways that you need to to figure out how to actually overcome it and how to get knocked down and keep yeah. moving forward um and you know, you're going to get hurt. You're going to play hurt. And uh, a lot of these guys aren't used to that. They're used to be being treated in a way where if they're hurt, they have a, someone's right there. Yeah. They, they're, they're making sure that they're okay and they're going to rehab and all that stuff. It's not, you know, they're like Lamborghinis. Yeah. They're going to the shop a lot. There's no one that really crushes buds. No, I don't think that so. That just like, oh, yeah, everything was easy. Because there'll be some really good athletes. And I did have some stud athletes. And my, yeah. my, my honor man was a guy named Keith Kamura who oh, yeah. was just a beast. He just fast at everything and strong. He was just a beast, you know? And so I would say, there, I guess there are a few guys that crush buds, but most people, they're gonna have some, they're gonna, oh, yeah. they're gonna pick apart some weak points in you. Yep, and that's what you want. I wanted to be tested. That was the whole, that was one of the, the main draws. It's like, I did wanna you see get, if I can do did this. Did you make it through first time every time? Nope, so I had, uh, after Hell Week, uh, my just legs weren't working, whatever stress fractures, whatever mm -hmm. whatever it was. Um, so they yanked me off the next swim because I was just, I don't know, sinking probably, and said, you're going to medical. Of course, you're like, no, I'm not going to medical. Never. Exactly, never. So, I will, you exactly, will not take me alive. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I remember them pulling me out onto the boat and be yeah. like, you are going to medical now. And I was like, dang it. So I went in there, and but it worked for me whatever they did like some people stayed there at that time like you could have a guy there for like a year just kind of hiding out um but for me it worked it mm -hmm. just they legs need a little rest and then classed up with the next class the next class yeah. Yeah. You, what was your attitude when you got rolled was it like the end of your life were you like oh my god or were you like okay cool i'm gonna because i guess there's so many people get rolled back yeah yeah you know and, I was a little bummed because I had friends with all these guys. Yeah. They're going on to dive phase, and you're like, oh, you're watching them oh, go on to dive phase, and you're stings. like, fuck. But then a lot of them get rolled back for pool comp, and then yeah. you got half your class back again. <laughs> so that was great. And uh, pool comp was my favorite, like that, yeah. and uh, drown proofing because that's uh -huh. the only time you get to get physical with an instructor. The other time, like you're just there, you're getting you're getting yelled at, you're being told you're worthless, yeah. you know, yeah. whatever. But this is the time where it's mono mono. Yeah. It's like you against them, and uh, you know, it's a little bit physical. So yeah. I love pool comp past first time I was comfortable in the water um, but then the drown proofing also that's where you really get physical where they have those different types of bodies that you have uh, to save you mean life-saving life-saving yeah yeah, 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 yeah for sure yeah, life-saving life yeah, so you, they have the guy that's just on. there you know just like yeah. dead weight and then the one that's fighting you yeah. and that's the one I liked yeah that was awesome and they drag you to the bottom and I just feel like and this is probably the martial arts stuff just relax because he's working he's working to keep me down there at yeah. the bottom and then when he comes up for air then i just go a little little more yeah. and then he'd get his air and he'd drag me back down but it was like us together like i, I loved that part that was yeah. my favorite part of us you know what i figured out i i figured out what the chokehold right i figured out like okay this is a choke like a rear naked choke that i can use and the 
recovery is you you I think you put your arm over like almost the same but you grab them like by the lat on the other side Maybe. and I just realized oh if I just put my arm <laughs> over here it's gonna choke this dude and it's gonna make him like get under control and then boom I can go back to the position but yeah I had a good time with that I failed pool comp oh yeah uh, because the former UDT guy from Nam who ended up working for me at trade at oh, nice. and, and and one day I asked him I said you know what do you remember failing me in pool comp? He goes, oh yeah. I was just messing with you. I was like, oh cool. Thanks. Yeah, that's awesome. Appreciate <laughs> it. And then I passed the next time. But yeah, yeah those, those, the water I was pretty comfortable, comfortable in from surfing growing up. But nice. for me, everything, I had to work hard. I had yeah. to run hard, all that stuff. Oh yeah, that's yeah. the whole thing. That's what it's all about. So you get done. Yep. You get done with buds, and where'd you yep. end up going? Going team five, and uh, you know back then you're like, oh, what's going to happen? Oh, North Korea is going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so got to go here reading stuff in the yeah, it's still going to happen yeah. if you read the news. Uh, so uh, I went to team five. That was my first choice, um, and just because of that. So now it's 1990, uh, 97. 1997. Yep, yep. showing I'm up there. Yeah. So I was still on the West Coast at this time. I was over at Team One. Yep, and I was. I was in training cell. Probably got that was right around when I got picked up for a commissioning program. So I'm just trying to think time frame like all the guys that I know from Team Five were all there. Yeah, Welcome, old school '90s. Welcoming you aboard. Oh yeah, very. That was great. Very gentle, loved welcoming it. environment. Yeah, you know, actually, I loved it. You know, and I thought <laughs> we'd get there, of course, and get issued a pager, and then they'd give us all this awesome gear, and we'd be at you know the bar drinking, and all of a sudden they'd go off like in the movies, and we'd fly off and you know save the princess and get back in time for beers the next night. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And then uh, then I get there, and it's like, hey, new guy. Uh, <laughs> Uh, clean that toilet and paint that wall change those light bulbs and yeah. i was like roger that yeah. let's do it i'm gonna change i'm gonna be the best light bulb changer yeah, that uh sure. that you've got here and uh so that was a little different a little did you go through sqt at group one or did you yep. go through it second time yeah it was the second class at group one okay um, and uh yeah so i went through that one and you know, it was good it was professionalizing yeah. it standardizing yeah. things obviously it's uh, more professional now but uh yeah it was a great time i loved that had a blast. All and then you things. rolled into a platoon. What was your What was your position in your first platoon? What did you do? I was the uh, assistant comm guy. Sure. So uh, for whatever reason, they're like, oh, college, you're going to comm school. Oh, like, yeah. Dang it, I want to be the point smart. man. Exactly. You must be smart. <laughs> I was going to say, you must dang have it. wanted to be a point man. Yeah, of course. You, know, you read those books, read Point Man, of course, yeah. by what Patches Watson, and yeah. that's what you want to do, watching all those movies. So when they told me I was going to be a comm guy, I was like, dang it. You know, that's the guy that, well, one, it's the guy that gets shot first in all the Vietnam yeah. movies right next to the LT. He agitated, we make it. He's got the thing, guy. Yeah. 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 He got the antenna sticking up in the jungle and over the grass, and that's where they, so yeah. anyway, but I did that, and it was actually a great experience being a comm guy because you're part of the planning process For as sure. a new guy. Um, and Total then you're learning the radios. Yeah, it was great. So um, going through that comms course and then bringing back the, the newest whatever newest radios newest techniques whatever it is to the platoon so even though you have a, a primary comm guy um you kind of know you know what's going on after that that's yeah. a good course it was anyway yeah. it was a long course um so it's good to be part of the planning process so as for someone that was going to be an officer at some point i got to experience did planning you, did you even have guy. that in your brain i knew it was an option yeah it was an option so it was either that or the other east coast seal team yeah. and uh you know i wanted to do both of those things yeah. i thought um, but i figured hey let's give this a let's give this a, a let's check it out i'm brand new figure this out and see if uh i'm gonna be an officer one day or go to another seal team or move on and go to the you know the central intelligence agency like all the people i read about and, mm -hmm. and, and watched in the movies um <laughs> so and there's nothing going on right there's nothing going on yeah, in the late 90s. 1997. <laughs> Get some. exactly yeah nothing happening you know some shipboardings like one platoon did a shipboarding was and, it your platoon no no because so i, was, I, was I did 
I did some shipboarding nice. back in the day. I, well, I did them right after September 11th. And it was but like, this is before that. So yeah. it was like, wow. Oh, yeah. Pre, pre yeah. September 11th doing shipboarding. Yeah. So it was like, you know, I was walking around like I was damn, yep. you know, the like whoever. I was right. walking around like I was. Like, all experience. Like, oh, we had big combat experience. It's like, no, you're a loser. <laughs> but back then, that's but, what you wanted to be doing. No, yeah. and, and to be quite frank, and we weren't walking around like, but we were, I mean, right. I was completely stoked that we got to do something yeah. real, that I got to lock and load my gun. Like, that exactly. was cool. And it was good. It was, you know, good enough. Because most guys didn't get to do that. Most times, nope. mo- many guys would just go on deployment and they would train other, other you know, foreign militaries yep. on how to do stuff. And that's cool. Build relationships with other countries. Cool. All that. Do some big exercises. Cool. Yep. But to actually lock and load your weapon and get have a real loadout was pretty was like a a, a big step back then, yep. and it felt great for me. But this was so. This is ninety seven. And where'd you go on deployment? Uh, so that was a paycom. So it was. Just, uh, was, yeah. was it shipboard or no? No, not no. No, this oh, was okay. all the things you just talked about. Yeah, was, so uh, you're just training tra- South Korea, different doing countries, training yep, people, Australia, wherever else. So just the, the normal paycom type thing. Well, pre September 11th, with not yep. much going on. And then you come back from that deployment, roll right into another platoon because that's what yep. you guys do. They exactly. become a one cruise wonder. You get promoted to one cruise wonder. Oh yeah. Were you the primary comms guy, or did you oh, yeah. skate out of comms? Oh no. I did was, you get any good schools in between? Yep. What'd uh, you get? Free fall sniper. Oh dang! Um, yeah, so double was, trouble. Yeah, yeah. So sniper is what I wanted. So you must have been squared away because they don't just give those schools away. I mean, I don't know. You asked my chief, but oh, okay. uh, yeah, I was. I, I mean, did. I checked with him. <laughs> <laughs> he was a crazy man, that guy. But uh, yeah, so right to right to sniper school, which is what I wanted, which I always wanted to do. So uh, so got there, did uh, seventy three days, I guess, and what, Kalinga, or you got mm-hmm. the Valley Fever yeah, yeah, <laughs> stuff yeah. going on. So, uh, so but yeah. you passed. So I passed, but I didn't pass stalking because okay. I didn't grow up uh, doing. Doing that sort of yeah. thing so i was shooting you know that was good i grew up shooting yeah. um so i had a, yeah, no problems there uh but then the stocking was a was a shock to me yeah. i didn't really understand what was going on i was crawling people i was crawling for a thousand meters you know out to do this and you can just walk for most of that you know i didn't know that at the time you know those of us that didn't know what we were doing we're just crawling in island in the summer yeah. and just so i came back and did it again and then knocked it out the second yeah, time we just, I had had, no we just had jason gardner on yeah. and same thing he you know he, he's like, yeah, I shot fine, but f- failed stalking. No, no kidding. And and then he came back on again and was talking about. Well, he talked about some of the mistakes he made, and it was very similar to what you said. But yeah. they would tell him like, hey, figure out where you're trying to get to and actually analyze the situation before you start moving. And of course, yep. when he was younger, he was just, I'm just gonna go. Yeah. And so he just went, and he wouldn't yeah. make it in time, or people would see him. So yeah, that stalking thing is no joke. Yeah. But the second time was complete opposite. I think I just relaxed. Did you time. did you go did you when did you go through it the second time when did, when did you go back for stalking right before I think we deployed yeah right before we deployed oh, the so second you, time you did so it during that same workup yeah oh okay that's cool mm-hmm. that's awesome yeah so right back but yeah I think I just relaxed and I got there and knocked them all out had oh you have to get points for people that don't know yeah. you we build up points as you stock or whatever so the last I think couple stocks I'd already had all my points so now I'm just trying to help other guys and, oh that's cool you know I. Yeah, looking back, I'm like, eh, should I really help these people, or should they have, you know, should I have gone back to my seal, my buds thing? I'm like, yeah. hey, but eh, you're different. Well, it's different. How would now. you help them? Like by trying to distract the instructors, or by finding that uh, that op uh, that uh, you have to crawl and get within a certain distance, yeah. and then let them know, hey, no, you're too far, you're too close, um, risking yeah. by like 
oh, there it is. So he didn't have to risk and Got look, it. Uh, that sort of thing. So um, should I have done that? Maybe not. But uh, anyway, but it, and it gave me good practice too because I got to push the limits then, which mm-hmm. gave me uh, a lot of confidence in what I was going to do later. That's and, pretty awesome. And then I paid for myself to go to some uh, some urban sniper course at Pendleton, some, uh, you know, one of these kind of fly-by-night operations that was going on back then uh, to teach people how to do whatever. So I went to an urban sniper course that I paid for because I was curious. And we didn't cool. do that at the time yeah. in sniper school. So I uh, got to learn about urban hides and, and all that sort of thing, which was pretty cool. Sweet. Who's running it? I forget the name of it. I think it had like you know, But like who are the people? Letters. Were they? Former, were they? I think former Marine snipers, I think, that were yeah, out. Yeah, well, if it was at Pendleton, I guess it probably was. And they had some connections had there connect. or something. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, and then, the, then free fall too. And free fall was a crazy one because... Uh, that was, um, I came back to the team one day and I didn't, I didn't get free fall right away. I did sniper school and then usually kind of like one or the other yeah. um, for a new guy coming back. Um, and so, so my friends went and I came back from, and this was the first time that they'd done the uh, civilian uh, deal where they were training oh, you know, okay. like, at wherever that was. Yeah. And uh, so came back from lunch. It was like, you're back, you know, you're kind of, you know, people are going to schools and it's, you know, so people are taking leave or whatever, got married. Um, and so I came back and I see Andy Stumpf, who you know, yeah. and uh, he's got this look on his face. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. I parked my truck and, you know, there's no no gate guard at the time. He's drive onto base. Remember that? Yeah. Um, and he told us our, one of our dear friends had, had, uh, had burned in and died uh, in free fall, like in that first week. And uh, I was like, and then of course, what does the team do after? And I, you know, I go to the family, we're you know, we're dear friends, and do the whole all that stuff. Is my first experience with that. Yeah. And uh, so, what does the team do? Oh, you're going to free fall. Yeah. Like a, a week later Check. after the funeral, I'm like, dang, okay, let's do it. So, uh, so yeah, we did the Yuma, not the civilian one, but went to went to Yuma. Stopped at Bragg first for the for the air tunnel that they thing that they did back then, the wind tunnel. Oh, that's cool. And then uh, then on to Yuma. So did those before my uh, my second platoon. And then you go on your second, you go on your second deployment now. Yep. yep. When did you go on deployment? So a couple weeks before September 11th. Oof. Yep. So uh, Guam, expecting a deployment uh, like the first one. Just mm-hmm. day we're going to go train some people and finally get to go to Thailand. Uh, and yeah, two weeks into it, September 11th happened. People start banging on doors up and down the barracks. And we didn't have TVs in our room then. So, uh, you know, phones are ringing because it's midnight, I guess, in Guam and, uh, you know, 9 a.m. on the East Coast. And we all get up and go down to the basement of the barracks in Guam where we had one TV and we all watched the, the Twin Towers fall on TV. And I was the Intel guy too. So I was comms and Intel. Uh-huh. And so I'd been reading, I just, you know, read uh, what the Bin Laden book was for that previous year, The Man Who Declared War on America, uh-huh. I think it was called. And so I was doing, I was always reading this stuff. I was always fascinated by it. I was always reading about terrorism, insurgencies, wanted to make myself the best seal I could possibly be. So I knew what Al Qaeda meant. You know, mm-hmm. I knew it meant the base. And um, so I gave a, a brief right away and nobody knew. The, I remember the CEO of, of Guam had no idea who Al Qaeda was. Uh-huh. And uh, so I gave my brief and you know, obviously I've been studying it ever since, but um, that was, we thought we'd be on planes the next day. Mm-hmm. Thought this is on, let's go. We start palletizing, getting ready, uh, but really it took a couple weeks, mm-hmm. and then uh, then off we went. And that's when I did the shipboardings because um, we took over for Team Three, who went into Afghanistan, and, and we ended up taking their shipboarding mission, which actually, looking back, was a good one because that was my only shipboarding experience, mm-hmm. and it was interesting because it's like a cop pulling over pulling over someone in the yeah. middle of the night. Like don't you don't know what you're, you're walking get. up on. Yeah. You have no idea. And instead of a car and a cop, this is a uh, uh, class three tanker that's heading for Iranian waters and you have a certain amount of time to get on there and turn it around. And mm-hmm. you know, as an E5, I'm turning around a class three tanker using my GPS and a compass yeah. and turning this thing around. It was always so it was, it was pretty cool doing yeah. that. 
And there's some good coordination that has to happen on those. So it's as a calm guy, you're you're working a bunch of different networks, and yeah. And then you're, you, did you end up? Yeah. Well, you just said it. You end up a lot of times being the person that knows how to work GPS because you're the calm guy. At least it used to be that way. Now everybody, that's all they know. Now, how to do now. everybody knows how to do it. But yeah, actually, the map and compass. That's why when I later on jumping ahead, I had to relearn map and compass because I got so dependent on GPS. And there was yeah. a book I think it's called uh, "Be Expert with Map and Compass." So mm-hmm. when I took over the junior officer training course before I got out, um, we had a really good uh, map course that we did. And yeah, that's the map and compass. Of course, the, the map and compass. Like, so, so I was a calm guy, and when we first started getting issued, this was in like '92. We first started getting issued the big GPSs. Oh, yeah. and they were they were like the size of a, and they were big. They were yep. like the size of two shoe boxes. Maybe I remember. they were big. The PSN eight with oh. this big giant antenna that was like the size of my water bottle. But but what was interesting is they they say, okay, Jocko, you know, you got to figure out how to work this thing. So I figured out how to work it. And then I said, well, it, all it does is tells us where we are. And they're like, yeah. And I said, well, if we have a map and compass, we're good. Like, I know where we are if we're on a map and compass for sure. I'm like, I know. Out at sea, it's different when you, once you get over the horizon. But anyway, so it was kind of always surprising to me that it's so much easier. If you do a good terrain study, you can just walk and you can look at your compass occasionally and you know where you are at, rather than constantly looking at a GPS and yep. getting your night vision tr- trashed from that or whatever it just just was a different transition i mean and and then obviously gps's became so good that yeah i mean they're they're pretty awesome <laughs> everyone has one on their watch <laughs> yeah they're today. pretty awesome now but, so, I, but i did like the map and compass stuff because i grew up doing it in the, in the sierras i grew up backpacking and doing and but before i came after college i went to alaska for three months and backpacked around up there did a did a national outdoor leadership school up there once again training getting bro, ready you were so ready for um, buds <laughs> i went to high school <laughs> i was <laughs> that's what i did yeah. but that just the, goes oh it doesn't matter you know yeah. it's all the mental part it doesn't matter how much you prepare or how little you prepare it's all if you want it if you're an average athlete and you you want this thing hey just don't quit you'll learn along the way you'll get in better shape when you start yeah. running in that sand just don't quit that sand will get you in good running shape so at what point did you put in for an officer package so that's spring before the September 11th deployment um, it was uh, we had a let's say a chief that was interesting uh, a leadership team I'd mm-hmm. say that was interesting um, and you know the, the E5 Mafia was not happy um, they were and it was um, it's one of those things like, hey, I can complain about it like everybody else, or I can put in this package and uh, and go and do it better than it was done for me. So so that's what I did. And you got picked up first time. Yeah. Oh, you already had a college degree and all yeah. that. Yeah. So put in, did the, but now got my. I remember there's. I won't say who he is because I think he's uh, an admiral now, but he was an XO at the time uh-huh. and he went for my interview. And it was a Friday afternoon, so Friday afternoon team five workout uh-huh. uh, included <laughs> a keg, and uh, so you know I didn't. You know, I did the workout, but then I changed into my whites. So now I'm in my whites in the spring, and those things are horrible. I hate those uniforms, but so I'm in my whites, getting them all perfect, and I go in to do my interview with the uh, with the XO at the time, admiral now, and uh, he's got a beer in front of him and his PT stuff. He's like. <laughs> I just want you to know how this is going to go. And if it's any indication, th- this beer should be an indication of how this interview is going to go. And I was like, ah, I love it. I was still, you know, doing <laughs> yeah, of course, military bearing and the whole, sure. the whole thing. Um, but yeah, of course they, uh, I, I did at a good first two platoons as a new guy with no war going on. Um, and so I got, yeah, I got picked up the first time. And then you went to OCS. Oh yeah. After I got back. So, but of course, September 11th happens and I'm like, dang it. I made the wrong choice. Yeah. Um, cause I, if where you want to be yeah. is you want to be an enlisted guy, yeah. uh, you know, it'll be in the fight for a while first anyway. Yeah. So, uh, uh, but 
it ended up working out well because I got right back from that deployment, did, well, I did a little training trip to uh, to a place and that was a great experience and then uh, classed up for OCS at uh, in Pensacola. In Pensacola. And did the same things. Yeah, yeah, I <laughs> did, did the, that too. It was awful. They did the same things we did in boot camp, folding underwear, folding t-shirts, making our bed, uh, you know, all those things that uh, somehow qualify you to lead men in combat. And uh, then right to the SEAL teams, right back to SEAL teams and ended up at a great team that uh, kind of, re- well, the CEO had just come back from another East Coast SEAL team, uh, having spent almost a year deployed after September 11th and brought his lessons learned back. And then he sent me to that team and right downrange. Yeah. So uh, as a brand new officer, uh, I was I was downrange fairly quickly. So timing-wise, it worked out well for yeah, me. That's 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 beautiful. Yeah, I got learned a, learned a ton on that deployment and then brought that back to my team and uh, then deployed again right right away to Iraq. So and I got so a then good. You're, then you deployed as an assistant platoon commander. Uh, I was kind of like a third, one of the third third O. That's right. There was a time when there was a third O. <laughs> yep, third O. So you ended up doing a lot of the admin stuff, and you, know, you still learn a lot. Um, but that's when, as an extra guy, essentially, yeah. that's when uh, Najaf happened. So that's when I had probably the most, the most formative time in uniform was uh, taking a sniper team into Najaf. So it's you know pitched combat for I think it was a two week campaign. So it was eleven days, and it was one of the first times I think. That, uh, that we really went to the conventional side and said, hey, how can we help? Mm-hmm. You know, we're here to support you in this campaign. Here, here's what I'm bringing to the table. These snipers, JTACs, we can control aircraft for you. We can pre-plan air, um, and, and this, is, this is what we can offer. How, how can this augment you? How can this help? And I, I, I I'm sure this happened before, but that was the first time that, uh, that I was involved mm-hmm. in something like that and had a great relationship. Colonel Rainey was the guy's name. He must be a general now um, or retired, probably retired now. Um, but I had a great relationship with him. And uh, we just got after it for 11 days out there. It was great. It was absolutely you had, how incredible. Many, how many team guys did you have with you? We had six, I think. And then we had some Polish Grom guys. Um, and then Marsak at one because they were part of that deployment sure. with us. It was the, it was the uh, I guess, trial run or yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. you call it. No, I, I, so I, those guys turned over with me in Baghdad. Okay. And yep. you, because when you guys got to Baghdad from your team, yep. you went to Mosul. Yep, first. And I was down in Baghdad doing a okay. turnover with the Marsoc guys, Got which it. I knew a bunch of the Marsoc guys from the old days of doing shipboard deployments oh, nice. with them, and they were a bunch of awesome guys. Yeah. Awesome. And then, yeah, and then I went home, and then I guess you came down to Baghdad yep. right before I went home. Take the PSD thing, take yeah. that mission. And, yeah. uh, and while that was going on, we were standing that thing up, and I learned a ton there, too, because you're like, uh, what, are you, what are we doing? We're protecting yeah. the inter-Iraqi government officials, <laughs> and we're not turning over with anybody because it hasn't been done before, and the last guy before Alawi just got blown up by an IED. Uh, okay, let's do this. Yeah, let's, let's figure it out. And uh, so, I mean, we started with one computer uh, and my CEO from Team 2, and it was I was at that computer just like he'd be talking to me, dictating things and putting together the mission, blah, 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 and I was just learning and, and you know, chiming in where I could, where I thought so I could So you help. were there when PSD got stood up. Yeah. Yep. Dang. With one computer in one small office, and then it grew into this huge monstrosity, yeah, yeah. which it eventually became. Um, but still learned a lot. Yeah. But that also meant that I was an extra extra dude as we kind of figured out what was going on. Mm-hmm. And then I got to go up and uh, help out with Marsoc Debt One, because one of those guys had to go back and do something. So I got mm-hmm. to go up and help them out for a little bit on the Intel side of the house for nice. a few weeks. And while I was there, that's when Najaf kicked off. And they're like, we need snipers. And so they just grabbed snipers and, and threw like, us together. <laughs> yes. Boom. Awesome. Score. Awesome. Yep. I remember the, uh, the CEO of team one. So he was attached to that Marsoc thing. Yeah, yeah. So I was essentially working for team one yeah. at the time. And uh, I remember him distinctly calling me in cause I was the, I was the O and I was taking these guys to do this thing that was kind of ambiguous. We're taking mm-hmm. over a city as part of a bigger campaign with, uh, uh, th- uh two seven cav. 
And he said, hey, whatever you do, and whatever this means, I didn't really know what it meant. I just nodded. But he's like, whatever you do, don't go forward to friendly lines. And I was like, uh, okay. Like, <laughs> Roger what, is, what does it even mean? So within hours of being on the ground, we are pushing forward, taking pushing the enemy back, going up, getting high ground, yeah. and calling in the Bradleys and Abrams and coordinating all that stuff. So right away, I'm disobeying his <laughs> order and uh, and getting the job done because yeah. that's what it that's what it took. You yeah. know? Um, but it was it was incredible to work with those guys, and um, we, and it was a, a hodgepodge of people. It wasn't just two seven cab. It was Army National Guard units. It was air from everywhere, um, all coming together, working together for the first time and making this thing happen and pushing the enemy back towards the Imam Ali Mosque, which yeah. is one of the holiest sites in, in all of Islam. And uh, on that 11th day, we, we had that place, all of them in the Imam Ali Mosque. So we worked every day. We'd push forward a little bit and then go up, take the high ground. Everybody'd come up. We'd do that. Maybe they'd be there for a day. The, the water would come up. The food would come up. That army logistics train yeah, would keep awesome. us moving. And then we'd push forward again. And uh, it was incredible to be part of that and uh, you know help out where we could. But then, of course, we have them right where we want them. And as a you know, brand new guy, I just want to bomb it. <laughs> I want to drop a bomb on the Imam Ali Mosque. Uh, looking back, you know, uh, that probably not the right decision. That would not have no, been. No, uh, no. And, uh, <laughs> but Matan al Sadr's in there. Cool tactical call, but not the best strategic <laughs> no, call. No, definitely. Now, in hindsight and with what I've studied since, you know, bombing one of the holiest sites in all of Islam probably was not, would not have been the right move. So that was, that was denied. <laughs> um, but if I, Matan al Sadr was in there, although the Mahdi militia was in there, yeah. and then they did some sort of a peace agreement, ceasefire ish yeah. thing or whatever, and then we got to watch them all leave and uh, turn their weapons over to the uh, Iraqi National Guard or somebody. Um, and that was the end of that. So, and then we dealt with, with the repercussions for, for a while, but, yeah, we but it was a good tactical experience. Yeah. Because um, I got to come back and talk about having, you know, sniper weapon systems, but also being able to have a red dot on those things to clear rooms because we were clearing rooms and then using those same weapon systems to set up and, uh, and do the job. So I uh, got to bring a lot of different ways to make the little bit become loopholes or whatever in yeah. the walls and, you know, all that sort of thing. So got to bring back and share a lot of that experience. How much longer was deployment once you got done with that? I think like a month or so. Okay. So it was kind of like, eh. <laughs> yeah. You were just like so stoked. Yeah. It was pretty good. And uh, yeah, so it, was a, it was a formative experience. And uh, and then it was, a, they called it, it wasn't the surge, but in the SEAL teams, we called it the surge. So we got to deploy oh, know, yeah, a year right. later instead of a year and a half later. That's really all that meant. So I got to get right back after it. Which was so yeah, because then you came home. Yeah. Now did you get platoon commander? Was it your platoon so now, commander? So now I'm a, now now a second O, the assistant. assistant. Now yes. you're the official assistant. Working my way up. The yep. second O. Now I'm in charge of Which eight guys. Which is actually awesome. That's great. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah, you're super stoked. You're like, oh, I just had that awesome deployment. Yep. And now I get to do another assistant platoon commander. Pretty Boom. much. No yep. factor. And this time you got to do a, an actual workup, or you did a workup yep. the first time too? Ish, but I was that, that third O, so yeah. I was doing admin stuff here and there, and it wasn't quite uh, the way it is today where you're only doing admin stuff as that kind of guy attached to the, the task unit head shed sure. or whatever. Um, but essentially I was doing a ton of the admin But you're still stuff. doing all, you still did the workup? Yeah, still You still, still the went workup. to CQC, you still went to Mount, you still went to Land uh, Warfare? Not all of them. Oh, no, really? No, because I, I had my deployment with, these, with the other East Coast uh, team in there. Uh, I came back, I did it with Haiti when that went down, because I was an extra guy, so I got yeah. to go down there, which was pretty cool. You're, you make a good Strap hanger, huh? You, hey, you, you got one I, of those guys that kind of like. And I didn't. I actually didn't plan it like that. I was always kind of like, oh man, I'm not in the. You know, I'm not the second. I'm, I'm not an AOC. You're giving good deal, Dave. Good deal, Dave Burke. A run for his money. It was. It was uh, not a bad time to be just a dude yeah. hanging out that yeah. they could grab at any time. And of course, I'm like, hey, can you go? Yep. Yeah. Of course, yeah. I can go. Uh, hey, sweetie, I'm leaving this afternoon. 
so you so now you're in your now you're doing an actual workup. Yep. You get to do yep. all the training, Everything. and then you go on deployment, and you go yep. back to Iraq again. Yep, yep, and uh, hit Ramadi this time. Sweet. So going into Ramadi. So now it's 05. It's 05, yep, fall of 05, and that's where we wanted to be. Yeah. And, uh, of course, it changes throughout that workup. You're going here, you're going there, whatever, but uh, I forget at what time it turned to you were going to Ramadi now. Um, but that's where, you, that's where you wanted to be in 05, 06. Sure. Um, and so we got to get in there. And, you know, it was interesting because I forget if there was someone there before us or not. I can't, I don't know why I can't remember if there was a turnover. There must have been somebody there, but it doesn't stand out in my head anyway. I think it was a much smaller debt before you guys maybe, were there. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, and was I wasn't part of that initial, that first, when the headshed goes over first, like the headshed went over and then I was the senior guy that came over with the rest of the guys. Got it. So I didn't really do, and when I got, when we got there, most everyone was gone and it was, yeah. it was uh, just time to, time to figure it out. So we got to do a few cool things. Um, uh, like going out with the Marines, dressing up like a Marine, mm-hmm. getting left behind to do the sniper stuff. You know, not, not exactly what you guys did because you guys really got after it. But, uh, you know, baby steps. Yeah, right on. So it was, uh, it, you know, going just going out with the Marines in awesome. the day, yeah. you know, doing those patrols. Like, <laughs> Where this, where the IED threat is high, um, yeah. and one of the most dangerous cities in the world at the time, like that was legit. Yeah, that's yeah. a that's a get some evolution. Yeah, <laughs> or just being on the base. Essentially. I mean, with mortars yeah. coming in at night, yeah. and and I stayed. I didn't stay in that that whatever the 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 building. Pal- the building. Yeah. yeah, I stayed out in the tents with the guys. Yeah, um, and yeah, there's nothing there to protect you from a mortar yeah. coming in. <laughs> like you're just sleeping, and all of a sudden it'll land on you. So. Yeah. <laughs> Mortars suck. Yeah. Well, on the receiving end, anyways. Yep. Yep. And then you, and then during that deployment as well, you also went to Baghdad and, and worked with an Indige force there too. Yep. Yep. So that's why I didn't see you in turnover. Um, got to do this, the second thing in my time in the military that was the most formative, and yeah, go do some stuff uh, in Baghdad with a. Doing another. DAs basically. Yep. Yep. Doing that with a kind of more of a civilian type organization and uh, yeah, with a little less, um, I guess, oversight, yeah. you'd say. So I loved it. Yeah. Just it fit my personality and my uh, my drive, I guess. Like I was a, it was a perfect fit for me at that time. Um, and actually, one of the things that happened during that time was the inspiration for the, the second book. One of the guys that I met there, one of the uh, Iraqis that I was working with. Um, but yeah, that was, a, that was a great time. Learned a ton. We're right there next to um, uh, guys from Great Britain, mm-hmm. other army guys from their, their uh, I guess, premier special operations unit. Yeah. Um, so and we're doing stuff together and we're training together. Yeah. And, uh, and you had a good, guys had a really good op tempo, if I remember it correctly. Good. It was a good time to be part of that. Yeah. yeah. So I had, a, I had a blast doing that, learned a ton, and I got to stay active. Got to, got to, got to stay getting after it. Every, not every night, but you know, yeah, good, good op tempo. Good op tempo. And then you wrap up that deployment, which again, oh. these are these are you got some choice deployments. I got I mean, a few choice, yeah, choice deployments. It was a good time to, to to be in. My timing was good there, but then I get back. So now I've done uh, five and, deployments and, in a row. And you're married. I'm married. Yep, got married after that first deployment. And so what's, what's the kid count at this point? We are at one. Okay. One. And then uh, two for the next one and then three for the next so one. So what did you do when you got home from that deployment to with, with when you got done with your assistant platoon yes. commander tour? So this is where my good deal train ends. And uh, <laughs> I get back and now I've done five deployments in a row. Uh, to, if you count the enlisted ones, three as an officer, all of them getting after it and they're like you need to go somewhere and get some professional development oh yeah they did <laughs> so <laughs> like they call what? wind to your scam and yep. they put a halt on that thing yep and uh so my xo had done uh was the ops had been the opso in germany so he's like you need to go to germany and you need to learn what a unit does mm-hmm. I'm like ah, unit 
two? What? Yeah. Like that's a place to be in 1944. That's where I want to be, <laughs> not in 2007. And uh, so I went kicking and screaming, and I probably should have just said Roger that, you know. And, but uh, you know, I, I five deployments in a row, and those last three being fairly intense, uh, I didn't want my guys to go back without me. You know, I felt like you're know, abandoning them to go For to sure. Germany and go like taste wine and look at like castle walls in these different towns like that. No, um, but you got to go. Um, but since I'd worked with that other government agency, um, I got uh, kind of, I guess you'd say recruited by them. And while I'm waiting to go to Germany, I go up to DC and do my bunch of tests mm-hmm. that they put you through up there and uh, get a class update to go to uh, to that organization. And uh, so I get to Germany. I'm there for a few months. It's horrible. Um, I, uh, I, well, they sent me to French language school first because they thought I was going to go to North Africa, West Africa. How long is French language school? Six months. Okay, not too bad. Six months. Um, that was actually good. You know, good, whatever, good family time, all that stuff. But I still wanted to be in Iraq or Afghanistan. Straight up DLI and Straight up DLI. In Monterey? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Luckily, I was at an offsite, so I didn't have to go on base. So that was that was good. So that was, I guess, I guess, another keeping yeah. it keeping it good. Yep. And of course, now I find out about CrossFit. So I found out about CrossFit in Ramadi. So now I'm just crushing the CrossFit, and uh, people think I'm insane because um, no one really had seen that yet. It's uh-huh. 2006, 2007, and they're like, "What?" Especially outside of the SEAL teams or yeah. outside of you know firefighters and all that stuff. Just the regular gym, they yeah. see you doing all the swinging barbells <laughs> around like they're kettlebell or whatever. Um, so, so I'm getting in shape. I'm training for my next whatever deployment, trying to make myself better. Um, but we go to Germany, get there, hate it. Uh, a lot of people there were loving it, and that made me hate it even more. Um, and I probably, you know, I probably should have just said, this is where the government needs me, yeah. so I'm going to do the best I can while I'm here. And I did the best I could, but you're not doing anything. It, it was awful. Um, I shouldn't say that. It is a very important place to be, and they have a mission, yeah. and that's great. But it wasn't for me. Um, so I dropped my papers to get out to go to that, because uh, I always wanted to get back to what I was doing in Iraq and Baghdad in 2006, getting it. And uh, so I dropped my papers and going to go, just get out and go do that. And uh, then like two weeks later, they call me, the CEO calls me back in and says, hey, there's uh, an OIC at Team 7, got out, there's a spot open, do you want it? And I was not expecting that at all. And I said, whoa, I, my mind was already set. I was, I was essentially, mentally, I was out. I was training, I was getting ready for to, to go back down range with this other group. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I went home, talked to my wife. She was pregnant again with number with our second child. And we decided to, to stay in, I'm like, okay. And get uh, get back after to do that leadership role that yeah. that uh, that I became an officer to to have, and we went to Team Seven, and that's where I met you. Right on. So now I get my first taste of Jocko, <laughs> and uh, some finally some uh, actual professional development that mattered. And uh, it uh, up until that point is baptism by fire. Like you show up at Team Two, hey, you're going to Afghanistan. Boom. No, no training other than the, the t-shirt folding yeah. and, uh, and underwear folding at OCS. Um, luckily, I had some really good guys on yeah. those deployments that uh, had already been to Afghanistan that took me under their wing that uh, you know, showed me how, here, here's how these nods work. The point man only had them in your last platoons yeah. uh, before September 11th. Here's how you use these yeah. things. Yeah, and that's kind of the way it used to be. You, it was OJT and yeah. the young junior officers or even the young enlisted guys, you just get trained by the more experienced guys. And that works great if you're lucky enough to have a good experienced guy that has the desire to teach you, that really cares about the job, that wants to do a good job, that recognizes the importance of leadership, and th- then, then it works fine. Yep. The problem is that's that's not, it doesn't always work like that. Right. So you get a guy that's a knucklehead, you get a guy that doesn't care, you, you, just, you can just end up in a bad situation. And, yep. then, and then some young kids, we're young, we're influential, 
what? Close. We're, we're, we're very easily influenced. Yeah. And we see how a bad leader acts, and they tell us that that's how we're supposed to act, and we start acting that way. It's very, I've, I've seen that happen many times. You know, I'd, I'd meet a guy, I'd meet a guy that would be coming through my training, and like he wouldn't quite be a good leader. And I, you know, I'd say, we'd be talking to him like, oh, who was your platoon chief when you were a new guy? And they'd name a guy, and I'd say, okay, see, yep. well, I, you could very easily find the root problems here. Right. Or I'd get a young, oh, I'd get a platoon commander, and I'd say, well, who was your, you know, who was your platoon commander when you were in AOIC? And they'd give a name, and they, the guy would be a bad leader. And you'd say, okay, well, I know where you got this from, and they'd give me the ability to, to actually steer him in the right direction and say, hey, you know, I wouldn't be offensive about their old boss or anything, but I'd start like saying, "Hey, there's another way to look at these things." So, yeah, sure. Yep. No. But it sounds like, but, but you got lucky. You had some good leadership. I mean, I know I who your yeah. CEO was at Team Two. He's freaking outstanding. Yep. And yeah, so you had some good, you know, you did some great mentorship. Yeah, and he cared up. about it. He cared about mentorship. For sure. Um, and his the senior guys that he brought with him from his other command also cared about those senior chiefs. They yeah. cared about what the next the generation game. of both enlisted and officers were gonna do uh, and how they were gonna lead. And uh, so I was very fortunate to be the recipient of that mentorship yeah. and that guidance. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that, that served me well. And I had a good foundation anyway, but um, but uh, but having that, have somebody that cared, that uh, put a little structure, mm -hmm. I mean, not, not no, you know, a little structure behind yeah, it yeah. Um, was uh, was refreshing, and uh, yeah, I just took all that on board, and just uh, you know, want to be the best leader I could for for my guys. Yeah. Um, but now at Team Seven, so that's now it's well, we won't. Eh, it was a good, it was a great experience as an OIC, but most of that was due to the the training mm -hmm. that you brought, and uh, so now I got to professionalize things a little bit, think about them, and now my deployment, my good deal train, I thought ended. Um, and it, it spiked a little bit and we thought, oh, we're going back to Afghanistan. Yes, and it's gonna be you guys, because you got, anyway, so I, it, didn't, it didn't end up being my platoon. Um, so I got to go to the PI, yeah. got to go to the Philippines. And at first I'm like, eh, that's a bummer. But it ended up being a great experience uh, at an outstation, had more uh, special forces guys working for me than I had SEALs working for me. Um, had multiple outstations that uh, that reported to me and, um, and we were there to you know assist this is an advice type mm -hmm. thing, yep. but it was with a Philippine Marine general, and awesome. he'd been down there fighting that insurgency in the Southern Island chain since he was a, an ensign or whatever they, you know, um, a second lieutenant. Yeah. And uh, you know, so I took the role of uh, student with him, and amazing guy, and just I really learned the area, learned what they were up against, learned how the enemy was adapting to them, um, and how it had changed over his thirty some years of doing that. Uh, and of course, he was mentored because they've been doing that for over hundred plus years they've been fighting that thing um so he was the recipient of, of mentorship and lessons from the people that came before him and uh, i took that time because i noticed that the sf guys the army sf guys particularly the warrant officer that was there with me knew a lot more about counterinsurgency than i did like i had the tactical kick in the door i had that mm -hmm. experience but i didn't have that broader piece yet and so i took that time in the philippines to study and read a ton. And who are the who are the foremost experts on counterinsurgency out there? Where are they? How do I get in touch with them? Do they have anything I can read? And so I just really schooled myself up. And so it became a kind of a competition uh, between me and him in discussions about counterinsurgencies worldwide, but particularly where we are, but how that applies more broadly. Um, so I took it as a time to, uh, and, and we did get to go do, they got to do some things down there, the film, film Marines with yeah. us just, uh, you know, helping with some more technical 
things. But uh, but we they got to get after it, and they yeah. they lost guys, and we were there doing the the medevac and doing all that sort of thing. Um, you know, the bodies lined up, the whole deal, um, and it was uh, so it was a it was it ended up being a a very um, I, I guess a, a another formative experience mm-hmm. for me, and then I got to use what I learned about working with the army once again, but the, uh, in my next deployment as a yeah. troop commander, yeah. where once again, I had, I went back to Iraq and had more SF guys working uh, under my command than, than I had SEALs. Yeah. So it yeah. was good, it was a good run. So you, you went through that workup when you were a platoon commander in 2008? Eight? Yep. Cool. Yep. Yeah. So I was pretty settled in cause I'd come home in 2006 and 2007 I took over the training. So yeah. We were we were we were going hard. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. My first experience. You know, I heard all about this Jocko guy. I'm like, what? Who is this guy? And uh, and uh, the first time I met you, you walked in to that room, that briefing room at Fort Knox, uh-huh. the stadium seating, yeah, and they yeah, have the yeah. diorama things up for the yeah. sand tables up front. Yeah. And uh, you know, you came in and gave us this this talk, and I was like, dang. <laughs> yeah, let's go get it. It was awesome. But uh, I had one of my more formative. Uh, experience in training in that particular um, uh, urban warfare environment thing, where I, you probably remember the the scenario because you probably did it for for most uh, of the platoons and troops coming through. But you have a mission, and you go out there and you're doing that mission. And I'm the ground force commander now, the GFC, mm-hmm. and I'm there in my in my vehicle, and a helicopter crashes like a few buildings down, a few blocks down, and uh, that comes over there. They're radioing for help for a couple blocks away and we, we still have guys in the building and now our guys are taking contact in the building and it's all you know, set up, whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm hearing that and I'm not going, I'm gonna, I'm gonna deal with this problem first, we're gonna prioritize and execute. Check. Yes, but I wasn't quite doing that yet. I wasn't quite, <laughs> I'm listening to the radio and I'm hearing they have a woman screaming, <laughs> helicopter pilot, female screaming, like, ah, they're, they're, they're surrounding us, the whole thing. And like, ah, what do I do? Ah. And I split my force. Oh, yeah! I split my force. Oh, yeah! And uh, so, hey, these two vehicles breaking off. You're gonna go to the crash site, secure the crash site. We'll then meet you at that crash site, and we'll exfil together. <laughs> so you know what happens next. Oh, yes, I do. Disaster, disaster strikes. <laughs> Everything goes. So, and, and that was the point of the the exercise. I think if you split your force, that I don't know what happens every time, but but. Uh, in this case, it did. It was it turned up being a disaster. We get out. We leave guys behind. We have to go back in. The whole thing. It was, it was great. It was great. But uh, I remember sitting down with you afterward, and uh, it really drove home. Yeah, prioritize and execute. And uh, it, it, if you split your force, you better have a damn good reason to split that force. Just had uh, a guy named John Stryker Meyer on the podcast. Yeah. The last podcast, you couldn't have heard it yet because it's not out yet, but. He's telling a story, he's in Vietnam, and this guy's just incredible, SOG, just the most insane stories ever. And he's telling a story, and he goes, yeah, so I split my forces, uh, and I put you know four guys on one side of the valley and four guys on the other side of the valley. And we started moving, and, and I had to like find out, bro, because I mean, like this is, this is disturbing to me. Right. And so I said, mm, I was like, hey, <laughs> explain to me you know, what, what made you decide to split your forces I said, I never like, and he goes, I never, he goes, I split, no, this is what he said. He goes, I split my forces two times in Vietnam. Other than that, it's a horrible idea because I didn't even like doing it here. I didn't have a choice. So that is a true statement. That is a true statement. If you can avoid splitting your forces, avoid splitting your forces. And if you have to, you better have a damn good plan. You better have a damn good reason. Because when then when you add enemy fire into it, trying to link up forces, friendly forces under enemy fire, 
I believe that's the hardest thing to do in combat. I think that's the hardest thing to do in combat is separate forces trying to link up with enemy contacts right. is a freaking nightmare. Yep. And so if you can avoid it, avoid it. Yep. Yep. I had to do that in Baghdad once with a, a uh, QRF that we'd uh, just talked to on the radio yeah. before. And uh, so that was a little, little dicey. But, um, but yeah, that, the not splitting your forces, prioritizing and executing. I'll never, never forget that. <laughs> never forget that experience. And luckily, up until that point, I hadn't been in a situation where I had to do it downrange because mm. I probably would have done it. Um, but after that training, I, you know, I was like, I would, I would think, I think long and hard. Yeah, maybe yeah. not long and hard. I would think, yeah. uh, think it through. Think it through mm-hmm, before think doing it that. Hard. It's a yep. tough move to make. Yep, and that was know, a great one <clears throat> for me. Coming back from Ramadi, I was like super um, paranoid about stuff and really into the fact that like I wanted people to not make dumb mistakes that I made or that I could have made or that I saw other people make. Like, so I was pretty um, adamant to. Make sure that guys were learning lessons. Oh yeah, yeah. no, it was a, it was amazing. That, was, that training was great, and then we went to Nyland, of course, and did the the land warfare thing. And I was very comfortable with that because we had uh, a team on the East Coast. We'd mm. done that uh, IMT individual mm. movement yep. technique yep. Uh, earlier on, I guess, maybe yep. on the West Coast. So I had it. Uh, I'd done it a couple of times already. So some of my junior officers that uh, had never done it before, and they were like, "What are we doing? What? It's not just just online and just the old school." Mm. Um, so they didn't quite quite get it but i was as a platoon commander i was very comfortable with that at nyland so um and it was it was yeah obviously amazing training especially when the technology that uh that came along at that yeah. time where <laughs> yeah, there was yeah. no there was no hiding yeah. from any mistakes that you might have made out yeah. there you got the gps on you and you yeah. go back and you debrief it there's none of that old school 90s like no that wasn't me i think it was so-and-so over yeah. there i would never do something like that yeah. oh no here it is here's your number or whatever it was on there and and uh, you can watch it all in the debrief yep. and, and watch your see. little watch your little uh your little what's that? What's that <laughs> An term? Icon or your little icon or move around on oh, the battlefield yeah. and watch your little icon engage your own forces. Yep. Yeah. Oh <laughs> you yeah, have to watch that over and over again. Right. Yep. No, exactly. <laughs> and then going through the second time, you know, things evolve and change and and all that. But uh, going through the second time as a troop commander, then I was even more comfortable with yeah. it, particularly in those those situations. I knew the lessons we wanted to get out of there, um, and uh, then I could do it a little better even than when I was a platoon commander because I'd already learned yeah. some of those in those particular scenarios but uh yeah that was an amazing training and there's no there's no question uh the, the impact that has had on the on the seal teams for the for the in a positive way carried some down men did you at <laughs> that was awesome yeah 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 everybody everyone's down everybody yeah. oh my gosh yeah it was a lot of was, down men drills yeah it was a lot of <laughs> i mean especially and then what was cool for me and people always remember that but but well they talked to me about it and, and sometimes even then, you know, this is too much, you know. And the fact of the matter is, if, you, if your leadership did a good job inside of a task unit or inside of a troop, if the leadership did a good job and, the, and they used decentralized command and the fire team leaders got up and made things happen and they kept things up, like if they did those things, you couldn't, we, the trade at guys, the trade at cadre couldn't take they couldn't, they couldn't put a bunch of people down because they would get their asses kicked by the troop. The troop would crush them. And you know that would usually not happen early on because they would have to figure this out. But once they got good at it, like the trade at guys would say, you know, they'd be calling up myself or the or the master chief running it and be like, hey, can you bring me back to life? Can you bring me back to life? And be like, no, man, you you know, you got killed. Of course, sometimes we would bring them back to life to press the platoon harder. Of course, I'm not I'm not going to claim that we didn't do that because <laughs> damn, <laughs> we're going to put the pressure. Yeah, yeah. But uh, 
no, yeah, the so down, then that it, was amazing. The down mandrills, yeah, it gets you get you in shape, and then but then it it gets people pissed off. Well, that guy came back to life, and you're, you're pissed, and you're not making good decisions. Yeah, totally. And you know, and the other thing, it's that you taught me, and I passed on, and that I still think about today, and it's like it's in the book. Uh, you know, take a breath, look around, yeah. make a call. <laughs> as easy as that. It's like I, I think about that a lot. Like all I got to do is sit back, get off my gun, yeah. look around, what's going on, what's the tactical situation. And make a call. Yeah. That's it. So simple, so not easy. <laughs> so not <laughs> exactly. easy to do. But it's cool when someone like like for someone like yourself that's a sniper that likes to shoot and now all of a sudden you're a task unit commander, it's real easy to get to go right back to what you're super comfortable with, which is, hey, I'll just get on my gun and start killing bad guys. But you got 40 other guys that are doing that. Yep. And none of those 40 guys are actually making a decision about where you're going to go next to save everyone. So you're the guy that has to do it. So that's yep. a, that's a good one. Yep. For sure. When I look back at old pictures, I see like how my loadout changed over the years uh, and how by the time I was a troop commander, you know, my, I'm a lot lighter. Well, I have radios now. Yep. Two yeah, of them. You're carrying radios. And, I, <laughs> and then, but, but my mags, I'm like, ah, only, you know, three and one in the gun or whatever it was. But there's a reason for that. Yeah. It's because that my job is now to control this element and, and crush the enemy, not to be on the trigger. And then uh, what was your, what was that deployment like? Where'd you go as a TU commander? So that was interesting because it was the, uh, it was the withdrawal from Iraq. Oh, okay. So uh, we were there six months, um, but uh, it was because we didn't know if we were staying, if we were going, if we were staying, what our authorities were going to be, um, where we were going to be based. Uh, there was a lot of questions. Um, so we had to prepare both to stay long term and to get up, pack and come home, uh, which is what ended up happening. Um, so I think we got they made us our element actually ended up going to the leaving at the end of November, I guess. There was another month there, but it was. You're getting packing up and packing going up. home essentially, um, but you're working with a partner force and you're using your uh, technical intelligence to try to prosecute targets so that uh, this it wasn't going to become a highway of death mm-hmm. on the way out of there as the enemy just sets. IEDs. Did you drive out of there? No, you, we flew. You guys flew out. No, I was. They drove out pretty peacefully too. Yeah, it was not, just a big massive convoy. I'll yep. see you later. Exactly, big it was deal. not uh, not what we expected. Uh, so, but uh, but it was cool for a little bit because you got. Uh, I think they, they got a little more liberal with some of the targets there for a while when they're like, okay, we don't want this highway of death. That's not going to be on yeah. me because I denied. I, I didn't want to let a unilateral op go yeah. when we're leaving anyway. Yeah. Uh, so so got for a little, we got to do a couple ops, but, uh, but uh, mostly it was uh, a leadership challenge to keep the guys focused on their mission right. while at the same time getting ready to go home for almost the entire deployment. So it was an interesting time. That was Basra, Southern Iraq. Sure. So I hadn't been down there before. The Brits had been there first, of course. Yeah. Um, totally different terrain than anything I'd dealt with before. And uh, it was, but it was good. It was an interesting deployment. Had a great uh, senior chief, um, and uh, who's still in, who's still in crushing it. And yeah, came home, and that was the last time I'd ever tactically lead guys on the battlefield. And I knew that. And pretty much as soon as we were airborne yeah. on the way home, I'm like, getting out. It's, okay, uh, so that was it, huh? That How was many it. years were you out at that point? I think I was at 16 right there. And so. what was your family situation at this time? So three kids, and right it was during the second work. So, so in my OIC workup, the, the one where I met you and then went to the Philippines, um, that's when our middle child was born, and we found out, I think it was at the eight-month checkup, that something wasn't quite right. And uh, 
he ended up, well, I'll get to what he had, but we couldn't, didn't know what was going on. He wasn't eating, um, wasn't meeting milestones. There was something off. And my wife knew right away, but I was just like, oh, I just, a, just a kid. I'll eat when he's hungry, that sort of thing. Um, and we didn't know what was happening. So all during that second, uh, or that deployment, they put me in that exceptional family member category five, because okay. he was, uh, you know, pretty severely disabled. And, uh, which means that you're not going anywhere outside of the, your, your current medical situation for your family. So it essentially takes the the decision out of the service member's hands, which is a good thing. Meaning, meaning you're going to stay. You were in San Diego. You're staying So there. that exceptional service member thing says, okay, we got to take care of this guy. He's going to stay in San Diego. Yep. Yep. So that's it. There's different levels and to they, it. But they ours did was the that most during severe. your second, during your OIC tour or during your TU commander tour? I think tour? during the TU commander tour, the first, that we're still trying to figure out what was going on during that first one and, and nobody knew what was going on with him. So it's, it's a lot of, uh, a lot of doctor visits, all that sort of thing. But my wife did it all because as you know, when you're in that pendulum has to be on the team. That's your responsibility as a leader. You're, you owe it to the to the mission. You owe it to the guys. You owe it to their families. You owe it to the country. Ultimately, to have that be your sole focus, um, and that's how it was. The pendulum is over there, and my wife got that. Um, uh, that that's what that's what you do as a leader, obviously. So when I got back, well. Yeah, when I got back, we still don't know. So now I've done two workups with this situation, two deployments with this situation. My wife's handled it the whole time, super strong. Um, get back, and I go to Bud's as the opso. So now I get to see people ring the bell outside that office and put the put the helmet down. Um, but in my head, I know I'm done. And I, even, I didn't make a... I didn't hide it. A lot of guys will hide it if they're planning on getting out. They won't say anything to anybody in the chain of command because they might stay in or whatever it is. Uh, but I'm like, yep, I'm getting out. That's 20. And they're like, no, you got to go be an ex. No, I'm getting out at 20. And uh, it kind of surprised people mm-hmm. when I'd say that. Because um, Bud's is a machine. That thing's running. And uh, as an opso, it's a fairly, I don't know, it, it's not as dynamic, let's say, as at a SEAL team. Um, and it was during that well, a little after that, that someone told Ross Perot our story, the Ross Perot in, in Texas, mm-hmm. the guy. And so... Oh, about your son. Yeah, about our son. Because you still didn't know what was going on. Right, so this is six Taking years. Taking to a bunch of different hospitals, yep. and he's six years old. Yep, no idea what's happening. All sorts of different diagnoses. Uh, t- uh, paid for Cedar sinai going up there, who we thought were the foremost experts. Um, doing oxygen. My wife would take him to an oxygen tank for 30 days, two hours a day or whatever it was that we paid for, just to see if anything would, would help. Um, Someone tells Ross Perot our story, and this is December of 2013, I want to say. Um, and I get a call out of the blue from Ross Perot, who sounds exactly like Dana Carvey impersonating <laughs> Ross Perot in the 90s. And uh, I'm like, "What is going on?" And he's like, "I'm gonna, we're gonna fix your son." I'm like, "What? Uh, what?" And uh, he's like, "Yeah, we're gonna send send the jet. I'm gonna assemble a team of doctors here in Texas, and we're gonna fix him." And then he hangs up. I'm like what just happened that was wild and about an hour later his lead doctor at southwestern medical center calls and says hey i know mr pro just called you uh, we're not going to send the jet tomorrow but we are going to send it and in the meantime send us everything you have on your son any medical records uh, and we'll assemble a team of genetic specialists here that will take a look at everything and we'll bring you guys in for some testing and uh, see what we can do and it's like wow amazing so a month later um they send the jet g550 lands and we get on and head off to texas and go do a week of testing in dallas and they sent our blood all around the world and found a genetic specialist in the netherlands who had just discovered the certain genetic mutation that helps form the brain at birth and 
that now it has a name to it. It's the three doctors that discovered this. But when uh, when we found out about it, he was the 13th person in the world. So number 13 in the world they found with this. And it was just called NR2F1, which is the, the gene that this mutation affects. And uh, being able to put a name to it for us, especially for my wife, that was so liberating. Um, I can't really describe what it means. Just to put a name to it, it seems like a simple thing, but uh, not knowing for six years and then being able to put a name to it and know that, hey, this is just one of those random freaky things that happens and there's nothing you could have done about it. And that's it. Just, uh, we got to put a name to it. So it was like, Roger that. Okay. Uh, now what do we do? And, uh, for us, that's our mission in life. You know, he gave us purpose and that purpose and mission is to make sure that uh, he reaches his full potential, whatever that may be, but he needs 24 seven full-time care for life. So, um, uh, and we have two kids bracketing him on, on either side. So the real challenge is raising those kids so that their childhood is not solely defined by their brother's condition. And, uh, hopefully it makes us all more loving, more compassionate people. And so far it's, it's worked out that way. But once again, my wife still bears the brunt of that every day. Cause I'm out here, mm-hmm. you know, I'm uh, having, having a nice dinner last night. I'm here hanging out with you. Um, and she's at home dealing with that. You sound like the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's just say I go on book tour. I'm like, I go on two weeks of book tour and, uh, you know, I'm shaking hands no, and saying hi uh, and all that. And she's, uh, she's got it. You know, the, 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 the wives that the wives are incredible, you know, yeah. mine included, she raised four kids and, you know, I was barely ever around. So, um, and you know, same thing with every guy that we have on here that talks about what their wives had to. And I think Jason Gardner, when he was on, he he said, he, the first time he was on, he said, put up with. His wife had to put up with a lot. And then he came back on and said, like, he didn't mean it like that. It's like actually had the strength to handle exactly. is what the appropriate statement is. Hey, you know, the wives, the, the wives that stick around, yeah. which isn't a big number. Right. Most most women don't have the strength to, to get through this and deal with this kind of thing. But, you know, obviously your wife is a saint and yeah. as is mine and like, okay, you're going to be gone all the time. Cool. I got this. I'm going to handle it. So. Yeah. And that's how it has to be. So now, hopefully the pendulum is not quite like this. You know, like I'm not dealing with life and death situations, um, so I can I, I can help out a little more. But I'm still, you know, this is an entrepreneurial type venture. Writing is not just uh, writing in a cave somewhere and sending it off to New York. It's everything that goes along with building a small business. So right now it's, uh, it's a full-on sprint. We have momentum, and uh, I don't really have any other speed besides just all in. So uh, sort of building this thing and but it's not like you're deploying for six months uh, although things do shift now so now uh even a, a like a two-week trip that that's like a six-month deployment <laughs> relatively now because it's not the country asking you to do this you don't uh, you don't owe it to the guys or the mission right. anymore uh type thing but uh yeah no i'm super uh super fortunate to have the wife that i do she's so strong and um yeah, our son is so he's 11 now and really has the mental capacity by a two-year-old i'd say and um but with only so few people in the world diagnosed with this, I think now they're probably up to, must be in the 70s now. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, you know, uh, it just, every day is a, every day is still a struggle. And, uh, but that's our mission. You know, we got him for a reason and that's, I look at it as uh, we got him because we're strong enough to, uh, to handle it. Mm-hmm. And that's, I don't know how else you'd have, how else you do look at it. I don't really know. And then, so as this is going on, was that one of the things that made you think about getting out of the Navy? Oh, yeah. So I didn't think about it while I was doing that OIC platoon Mm -hmm. or doing my troop commander tour because I was just all in. Um, But once I got back, like when that plane took off, when we landed in San Diego and I took a breath, realized I'm going to Bud's. I see people, guys running on the beach, you know, doing the the Bud's thing. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not why I 
came in. Um, I came in to do the job. I'd done the job. Now I owe it to my family to, uh, uh, to let that pendulum go back and take care of them. Mm-hmm. So it was very obvious to me. It wasn't like, it wasn't, it wasn't something I struggled with. Uh, I think a lot of guys like, should I get to stay in? Should I get out? Uh, what's my they a hard time with that transition? Mine was not difficult. Neither was the decision to get out because I was handed my next mission, really, which mm-hmm. is taking care of the family yeah. uh, and especially our middle child. So um, in that respect, my transition, um, easy is the wrong word, but um, I knew what I needed the to do. The decision was clear. Yep. There was no no wavering. And then you knew from your previous, from your childhood, that the job you were going to take, the job you were going to go after, after you retired, was going to be a writer. Yep. Yep. And of course, you can't say that, especially at that time in the SEAL teams, like, yeah. you know, the, uh, the Bin Laden stuff is going on and, and all that. So uh, that's when I played very close to the chest, I'd say, uh, to the vest. Um, so I knew what I wanted to do my whole life. I didn't think about it while I was in the teams. It was just like, that's what I'm going to do next. Yeah. That's the amount of thought I put into writing when I was in the teams. Um, but everything that I read growing up was part of that education all the reading nonfiction that I did on insurgencies and terrorism, um, all that fed into it and all the personal experience downrange. So it's almost like um, I could not be more prepared for what I'm doing now as a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I didn't, during those last couple of years, I was just like, okay, opso at buds, then to junior officer training course, OIC, which was great, but it was only yeah. for a couple months, but I loved that because yeah. you get to pass on some lessons sure. um, and then you know, move on out. But that last year in the Navy, and I, I think I've heard you talk about this before, uh, and that you didn't do all these things that you're supposed to do when you get out. Like yep. I went into the, the, what are the taps, whatever that course yep. is, it yep. was awful. Like I did all those things that you're supposed do to any do. Of them. Are you even doing, I know I heard you say that. I'm like, you could, how did you get out of that? Yeah. Uh, well, no one's going to tell you what's, I mean, you're a big dude. You're not, no one's going to tell you you got to do this. But uh, I went, I did that course, and I went to medical, and I went to dental, and I did all the signatures, and I got my paperwork in order. And that was like the whole last year in yeah. the Navy. Uh, I had yeah, some spine yeah. surgery, I had spine surgery in Ouch. there last year. Yeah, so that was good. <laughs> um, and so got all that taken taken care of. Uh, but it's during that time where I'm like, okay, my job's to get out of the Navy now. Well, now I'm gonna start thinking about this writing thing. And uh, that's when I wrote down about seven different ideas, uh, put them on the table in front of me, like one page synopsis type things. And I chose the one that I thought would resonate with people the most. And that's that that theme of revenge, because that's that, uh, that has resonated with me as a kid growing up, both in movies and books. And it's something that just resonates with people in general is that, that theme for whatever reason. So I knew the first book would be, well, that would be the theme of the first novel. And then when did you start actually writing it? During that last year. Um, so yeah, outline, uh, synopsis, started writing, title came really quickly, all that sort of thing. Um, but then submitted it. So I, I got out summer of 2016 was my retirement and submitted it to Simon & Schuster in the fall of, uh, of 2016. And uh, I got very lucky, very, very lucky in that uh, a friend calls me out of the blue and he says, hey, do you know this uh, author, Brad Thor? And I said, oh, yeah, of course I know him. And he said, well, I know you're writing this book. Do you want to you talk to him? Maybe he has some advice for you. And I said, will he talk to me? 
And she said, let me set it up. Yeah. It's a former SEAL who's out in the finance world now. And they sat next to each other at some fundraiser or something. And uh, so I get on the phone with this Brad Thor guy. And he could not have been more generous with his time. It was kind of like an interview. It was kind of like a why do you want to write type mm-hmm. thing. That was the underlying um, kind of theme of our conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think he wanted to make sure I was doing it for the right reasons. And you know, I told him the truth about my mom being a librarian and reading all this stuff growing up and all these authors I loved and wanting to do this forever. And he's like, all right, I'm not going to help you as you go along. So don't send me chapters. Don't ask me questions. Um, but if you write a book, if you finish a book, I will let Simon & Schuster know that it's coming. Can't guarantee they'll open it. Mm-hmm. Definitely can't guarantee that they'll like it uh, if they read it. Um, but as a thank you, your friend told me some of the things you did in the teams. And as a thank you for that, um, I will let them know it's coming. And I'm like, Roger that. And he said, when are you going to be done? I said, one year from today. And uh, called him back one year to the day later. And I was like, hey, do you remember me? And uh, he sure did. And I said, it's done. And he said, well, is it done? He says, the best it can possibly be. And I was like, well, nope. Nope, I can still work on it a little more, but it's done. Uh, he said, well, call me back when it's the best that it can possibly be. And I said, roger that. So I took another four months of reading, editing, rewriting, getting it to, you know, if you, if you held on to it for 10 years, you could probably make it better by degree. Mm-hmm. Yep. But uh, I mean, it was at that stage where it was ready for another set of eyes. Mm-hmm. And uh, called him back four months later and he said, okay, I'll let my editor know it's coming and shipped it off. And she read it. Next thing you know, I'm on a plane to New York and we're having coffee. And I think you want to make sure I wasn't a crazy person. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said, hey, I want this thing, but but you need an agent. And I'm like, well, how do you get one of those? And uh, so she introduced me to four agents. And then I, uh, I chose one. Next thing you know, we're off to the races. So uh, I, I got very lucky. Yeah, that's 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 awesome. It does take a little bit of luck. How do you how do you actually mechanically write? Like, what do you actually do? Yep. So um, I, all those seven different synopsis that I had ahead of time, um, where I picked the one, now all those other ones are turning in to these next novels, even though I might have had different characters or whatever. I can morph those ones. So I have about seven different novels in, in the pipe ready to go. Mm-hmm. So start with that, that idea, the synopsis, like a one page or two pager, then an outline. And then as I write, I fill in that outline because new things, new ideas come up, new chapters, new characters. And I add it to that outline. So, the, and it was in Word up until mm-hmm. very recently. Um, and I, so I have a visual representation. What's, what'd you switch to from Word? To Scrivener. Oh, okay. Which I'll get to here in a second. Game changing. Um, so yeah, in Word, so you're scrolling, copying and pasting, moving chapters around. And then, you know, because I don't want to cut and then have it disappear because yeah, I'm yeah. nervous. Uh, is it backed <laughs> up? Oh my God. So, uh, so yeah, so I, I fill in I that out. that pair. No, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Don't want don't to cut and paste. I want to yeah, copy, copy paste. it. Just yeah. in case. Just in case. The power uh, goes out at that moment. Exactly. Something. I hit the wrong thing yeah. and it's gone. Uh, so yeah, I fill in that outline until I'd say about 75% and then it becomes not as efficient for me to continue to just have an outline that's now very complete. Uh, now I can just transition to just the story about that point. Um, but yeah, recently I found out about this thing Scrivener and that it's, it's set up very much like Word, but you it's broken down by chapter. So you can drag and drop chapters and see how it looks. You can have each one of those chapters have a synopsis. So it shows up as essentially like a card or a yellow sticky. Mm-hmm. And you're looking at this whole thing and think, oh, you know what? Chapter six should really be chapter three. Drag, drop. And you can move in research. So you can drag in articles from online, pictures, video into research folders. So it's all right there. Instead of like, what file was that? Did I copy? You are like a day late and uh, eight bucks too late for me at this point. (laughs) 
<laughs> Seriously, like that sounds like brilliant. Yeah, and I could so use that. And I just finished my eighth book. Nice. So that sucks. Because that sounds <laughs> well, awesome. For, for nine. Yeah, yeah. You know? For nine, yep. which, which I started yesterday. Yep, and so. you can import from Word. So I had about half of the. Oh, okay. Yep. So you import from Word, and it breaks it into chapters. You just put an icon and let it know whatever that little symbol is um, where you want the chapter breaks. And then can you export it back to yep. Word? And I haven't done that yet. So I, I, I will be doing that in the next couple of weeks uh, for book three. Uh, but I have not actually, I've imported from Word. I have not exported. So but you can. Say, you can, yep. They say you can in the tutorial video, and they show you how, but I have not yet done that. Check. Yeah. Yeah. I'm all over it. Because my editor likes it in Word. So. Before we nerd out too hard on this, <laughs> we'll move on to something else. Yeah. Uh, so you get done with these, and and where did you, I mean, what did you do with your family once you retired? Because you had the mission of your kid yep. and your kids. Mm hmm. You had the mission now that you got to finish this book. Did you finish that book while you were still active duty? Nope, nope. So finished it uh, just uh, four months afterwards. So you set yourself up financially somewhat that you were in a survivable scenario even without alternate income besides your retirement. Uh, I had other uh, businesses. You had some other little. You had some other little side things going on yep. to give you enough money to float this gig. Yep, I have an operation in Hawaii, a hunting operation out there um, with a couple other partners. Um, every so often someone would ask me to do some speaking or whatever, um, that sort of thing. Did some, some tactical training, um, little things like that. But uh, yeah. I was set up to, uh, to be able to move into this financially. And then where, where did you, where'd you move to? So we got out and we weren't planning on moving because our son, we thought, hey, we have this, uh, this support network built up now over the last six, seven years. Mm -hmm. uh, it's here in San Diego and we can never move. We can't, we definitely can't go someplace where it's cold because he just lies down and just, anyway, it's, uh, it would be very difficult to take him to a place where it was rainy, where it was snowy, um, where you had to put extra clothes on him, like that sort of thing. And then we go to Park City, Utah, the, uh, the winter after I get out and we took our son on vacation with us for the first time and we started going to park city during my last couple of years when i'm not so i built up a ton of leave i never took leave uh of until course. those last couple of years um because those last couple of years i'm like well i'm not taking guys down range anymore um let's start taking some leave uh we have all this on the books so we uh we'd go to park city with a few friends from san diego because it's easier to fly to salt lake and drive to park city than it was to drive through bands of traffic to get to mammoth or mm -hmm. big bear or whatever else so uh so we started doing that the last couple of years and then we took our son on vacation with us and I mean, we took someone with us to help, so we had an extra set of hands, but we got there and we spent two weeks up in Park City, and we thought, you know what? We can do this. We're not tied to San Diego. Um, we brought someone, yes, that was here full-time, yes, um, but we did it, and that was like, oh, that opened just some few doors for us mm -hmm. that we didn't think were open to us ever, and while we were there, I opened this, opened this magazine and said, hey, look at, this, look at this house around the corner here. Let's go check this thing out. So we drove around the corner, checked it out, and we're like, let's move. Yeah. And we decided right then and there to move and uh, got the house. And six months later, we're there. And I think it helped to make a physical and psychological break with the military for me um, because I was in Coronado. I, and as the opposite of Buds, I saw so many guys that couldn't let it go. And obviously, it's a huge part of who I am. It's yeah. in, my, in my novels and, and all that stuff. It's a huge part of me. Um, but I saw guys that kept coming back to Buds, kept calling me as the opposite. Hey, can I get a tour? I want to show somebody around. Yeah, hey, no problem. Come on in, you know. I'm all about it. Um, but I, I saw they just couldn't let it go. 
um, going to all the charity events, uh, going to the same bars, going to the same grocery stores, especially in Coronado. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think for me, it was healthy to say that was one chapter of my life, obviously a huge influence on me. I wanted to do it my whole life, but now, now we're moving forward. And now there's a new chapter and that's as an author and that's taking care of my family and raising our kids to be good citizens and good people. And that's what I'm going to do next. And I think it just helped to not run into somebody at the grocery store from a platoon and say, oh, what are you doing? Oh, who's, who's, who's your CO? What's, uh, you know, and all those sorts of same questions um, that just keeps that tie. So being able to say goodbye to San Diego, and it was, San Diego was great to us. Love San Diego, love Coronado, but that was one part of our life and our new life is in the mountains, raising our kids in a ski town. And you're super stoked right now on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> love it up there, love it up there. And we got there, we drove, you know, we put at the U-Haul and we drove through the night and all that. And we get there, you know, 13 hours later because you're chugging along with this U-Haul and we get to, we unload it. And the next day we go to the grocery store and we look around and we're like, man, people in Park City are in good shape. Like we thought we were in pretty good shape in San Diego. Like these people are insane in Park City. It just draws these people that want to raise their kids in ski towns. Usually they've done something somewhere else where they, you know, hit their number, whatever, they, they can live there. Yeah. And uh, they're really into uh, being in shape and uh, being the best people physically, mentally, spiritually, whatever, just being the best, most efficient people they can be. And luckily I had some friends up there already and this insane group of guys that works out in the morning. We wake up at five. And uh, once again, that pendulum this last few months has been on the writing. But when I first got there, I started working out with these guys that I knew from before. Um, and uh, Hopi Darling is kind of the, the lead of that. He used to be the CEO of Skull Candy. And uh, now he's CEO, of, or uh, he uh, has a bunch of other ventures. But this guy is in insane shape and he's there every morning at 5.30 with some crazy workout. Like picture your, your uh, hardest CrossFit workout and then times it by three or four, add some trail running. <laughs> it, it's crazy. Yeah. And uh, so I showed up with these guys and uh, they're awesome. But they're all about just human potential, I think is the best way to put it. And maximizing that potential, um, whether it's your family, whether it's in business, uh, personally, whatever. Just uh, and and staying up to date on the latest and the greatest and testing things out. And they're uh, an amazing group of people. So I'm very fortunate to, to get to work out and spend time with them. Because all high performers, we all push each other. Um, and even though I'm not the not the fastest anymore, certainly not the strongest, <laughs> especially with this crew, it's uh, it's cool to get out there and uh, and and just be you know just be together like a little team awesome well I, I mean it looks like we're at a pretty good that's that gets us to today you know where you're at probably a good place to wrap the books tell us just a little bit about the books what do we need to know about book one book two yeah so the first one's the terminal list which uh i, I didn't say it out loud for about for the first year i was working on it and then i said it out loud for the first time and there's two l's next to each other and i said it for the first time i was like dang it like it's a tough one to say the terminal list um yeah. but uh at its base level it is a story of revenge without constraint and that's what i wanted to explore and i think it was a, i adored a team five ops 1997 i saw that somebody xeroxed copied a uh, a thing from the brand new internet that uh had a picture of a samurai on it and it said something about a samurai going into battle thinking they were already dead and you know i went back and looked at all my old bushudo books from high school and college and uh i thought oh wow they, they did that because they thought it made them more effective and efficient warriors uh they're going into battle already dead and I thought, how do you do that with a modern warrior? How do you do that with someone that has a background similar to mine so I can explore these feelings and emotions behind different experiences that I had downrange in a completely fictional 
sense. Uh, but how do I make him already dead? And then I thought about the church hearings in the, the late 70s and how the uh, the government had tested certain drugs on our nation's soldiers, on uh, mental patient, mental mental institutions, uh, college students, um, without a any review, any any sort of structure in place with how that's going to going to go down. And things changed mm-hmm. after that. And I thought, well, what if somebody didn't get that memo? What if there was something they wanted to test out? They wanted to test it out on some of our nation's most elite soldiers, and then something goes wrong. Um, so how do I free this guy up to think he's already dead and to come back and have to use the um, tactics, techniques, and procedures of the enemy on home soil? So essentially, I wanted someone that thought they were already dead that now gets to bring what was so effective against us in Iraq and Afghanistan to home soil as he works his way up a list, putting the bad guys in the ground one by one. Um, so that's that's really what that first one's about. And then, I mean, if you dig a little deeper into it, more uh, like psychological-wise, I guess, it's uh, about a veteran that comes home and brings the wars from Iraq and Afghanistan home to people that have been sending young men and women to their deaths for close, well, coming up on 20 years now pretty soon. So uh, you can read it like that too, but that's that's deep, that's deep. Uh, Chiak, and the words you pick up with uh, True Believer. So that's a continuation of the story. So in high school I saw, it's a, it was on PBS, and it was a, a special with Bill Moyers, and he had an interview with a guy named Joseph Campbell who wrote a book called The Power of Myth and The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And I was fascinated by it because, well, I already wanted to write one day, and I remember they talked about George Lucas being influenced by this for Star Wars and uh, kind of the samurai aspect of different things, and then how across culture the hero's journey is similar, very similar for the cultures that had never touched each other before. Yeah, China, Native American, Indian, uh, Africa, Northern Europe, they all had this similar journey. And usually it's a reluctant hero that goes on a journey, emerges transformed at the end of that journey. Um, so that was a big influence. So in writing these, a little you have to call Mikey and the Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> I was just reading that to my kid the other night, and uh, yeah, so he so he has to go. You got to go into the cave, and you have to emerge transformed. But uh, how do you do that with one book, and then how do you make that overarching a series as well? So there's two things I think about as I'm writing. I think about that hero's journey in the context of one singular story, and then over what I hope will be a long term series. So that's what I'm what I'm thinking about as I write these things. And then True Believer is the continuation of that story, but it's uh, was inspired by somebody I met in Iraq in 2006 and I thought what if I made this interaction and what I what I heard through the grapevine later what if I made this a lot more interesting and fictionalized it um, and so that's where the the second one picks up and it's really a story of redemption and taking the well, still taking the emotions and the feelings behind certain things that happen downrange uh, but also now exploring what that transition was like because the hero here in the story James Reese has to go through a transformative journey and uh, the second one's all about redemption and when is when does book two when's true believer come out july 30th july 30th yep. that comes out yep. the terminal list is out right now it is out yeah the second one should have come out april 2nd but the department of defense took seven months to do a 30-day review uh, i just wanted to make sure i was honoring my former security clearances by uh submitting it to the department of defense and you just so leave they, the stuff that they tell you to take out or the stuff that they tell you to redact you just you just black it out i just black it out because i didn't know if i write around it am i still you know, is that kind, enough? Of, kind of funny and, you did that in true in uh the terminal list too. Yep. When you sent it to me, I you gave me a heads up. You said, "Hey, I just blacked things out." And yep. you know, obviously, my books have been th- well, not my kids' books, but my other books have been through the Pentagon review, and they tell you that remove certain things, and we would remove it and change it so it's 
acceptable to them, but you just blacked it out. Just left up. it blacked out. Yeah, because I was worried like, what if I write around this and then I publish it and then what if yeah. they come back and say, oh, well, you didn't quite write around that enough. Did but, you do that just to be cool, kind of? And it also has a little authenticity. <laughs> <laughs> helps with the marketing. Yeah. Um, but, no, and it's like, I mean, I was I was looking through it and I'm looking at like what, it, and I can I can figure out a lot of them. I go, oh, they, they, they didn't want him to say that. Oh, they didn't want him to say that. So it's pretty cool, but you can still, I mean, obviously you can still understand all the context around it. You just don't know a certain like specific term or a certain specific location or a certain specific name, but yeah, that's pretty that's pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool that you left it in there. And the books are available everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. Everywhere. The audio people love the audio. Ray Porter does the audio. He's an awesome. He was up for audio book of the year this year. So we're in New York and it's up there. Well, I texted you because you were oh, up there yeah, for yeah, audio yeah. book. And, you know, you're in your in your in your category. Yeah. So I was texting you. I took a picture of the screen and everything. <laughs> uh, but it was cool seeing yeah, it up there next was, to Stephen King. Like I was like, dang, that was pretty crazy. cool. So. That was pretty cool. Uh, you to find you. Um, you got your website, which is officialjackcar.com. That's it. Because you didn't buy the URL Jack Car early Correct. enough. I think an insurance guy has it in yeah. Nebraska or Some something. Some guy's holding it for hostage, <laughs> yeah, and you're never be. gonna get it. Yeah. No. Well, maybe you will. Never say never. Yeah. So that's uh, yeah. That's a, and that's one that uh, if people want to geek out a little more on the the weapons, the knives, that sort of thing. Um, the website goes deep dives into a lot more of that stuff in the books. Because you get your nerd on, yeah. You get your weapons nerd on. You would, <laughs> exactly. you're like you bring the librarian of your mom uh-huh. to the to the the damn Jack Carr weapons scene. That's it. <laughs> That's it. So it's on there, and and uh, then on on the the socials, which I am very new to. I'm about a year yeah, and a half yeah, yeah. into this now. It's uh, Jack Carr USA yeah. on the socials, and there is a Facebook, but uh, three was just too much. Like so, somebody else just copies and paste things uh, into from there. into there. But uh, on Instagram and Twitter, Jack Carr USA, and those you're, are the ones where I interact with you're people. You're interacting in the game. That's it. I'm in on those. But three was just too daunting. Just couldn't I knew it. it. Nope. Nope. Prioritize. You know what I do? All three. <laughs> it's next level. Yep. I'm crazy like that. That's how super motivated I, I am. I get I'm it. on three social media platforms. Kill me now. Man, well, you know, usually I have a, every now and again, I have a hard time going to sleep. Yeah. My mind's racing. I'm thinking about all these things, thinking about storylines, solving problems on the written page here aggressively like I used to do on the battlefield. Um, but usually I don't have a problem staying asleep once I get there. This morning, up. 3.07 a.m. <laughs> and I'm like, dang, and I took a picture of it for you. So I'm like, oh, dang. Did you post it? No, no, it's D-Day today, so I didn't you know, think that would be, oh, you know, yeah, so, yeah. so yeah. I uh, kept my, my D-Day post on point. Yeah. Um, but I will, I will post it. D-Day, awesome. Yeah, so I think that's a good place to wrap. You know, Echo, mm-hmm. Jack was just talking about fitness. He's sure. talking about being prepared. Sure opened up talking about being a true believer that knows the cause. Yeah, fully. You know, what do you know about, you know, sort of that cause, being on the path, yeah. believing in it truly? Yeah, fully. Uh, I do want to comment on how you blacked out the, the classified parts of your book. It's kind of like in the movies, right? Or when they want to, you know, they show movies on HBO or in the cinema, whatever. It's all good. They put it on USA or one of these, you know networks they got to edit it right edited for television so there's three ways they do it in the movies they either just take out the whole scene which is like what they do with books right sometimes like i guess they could yeah usually change it 
Yes, which, which they do that in movies too. In the movie they version, yeah, they have a dubbed voiceover for Check. the swearing. Yeah, right. And every once in a while, you have a movie with an actual different scene. Yeah, like if you watch Trading Places or something on US, they have actual different scenes like that they redid. Check. Then the third is the blackout version. What you did. Which they just blank it out. So if they're swearing, he'll be like, what the? And the mouth will show it, but they just won't have the audio, right? Mm -hmm. To me, that's the best way to do it because it keeps you in the story. You're like, Mm -hmm. okay, he swore right there. I get it. You can't swear on on this network or whatever. But in my opinion, this, the blackout, the physical, like I just saw it in there. It's physically blacked out, anti-highlighted, low-lighted, if you will. Mm -hmm. It gives it the mystique. Yeah, kind of like there's something hidden under here that's classified yeah. that you can't know about. So classified, <laughs> yeah, you can't know about. You can't even know about it. Even yeah, a, even even that it's fiction, which is even a level up, like a half level up, even from yeah, there. yeah. That's You're like, wait a second, they're redacting fiction. Yeah, what you does know? that mean? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so goes and I noticed you, you laughed when you said when he said like secret because you and I both know what gets redacted. Yeah. Ridiculous, and it's not really it's not all that. that I know I don't want to build it up too much. So when yeah. we talk about it, no, I always no, no. want to make it sure it was. We'll edit this out. <laughs> well, it's so well, top secret. My plan. So the first one, I didn't, I didn't appeal. So you have a year to appeal these things, and uh, I didn't do it the first one because I didn't have any enough money. Um, so second one though, they took out a lot more in this second one, and I'm appealing this one. So, and what you do for the appeal is you find the information on government websites. You can't oh. just go to Wikipedia, whatever oh, else, okay. but on actual government websites, in congressional testimony, um, out there via the government. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're appealing this one, and almost everything in there except for one little phrase, um, we found it on government websites. So, so we're appealing so that if the paperback comes out in this, now you can see what the government didn't want you to see. Yeah. But its I don't want to build it up too much because it's really... Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> not as cool as it sounds. No, but, uh, we'll but one thing that they, they took out was so surprising is that I made up. So I made up a location because I'd been there uh, before I came in the, in the military. So I used it as a location in the novel because it made sense where it starts. Second one kind of starts in Africa and then it goes up here and you know goes into, into whatever. But I'm like, oh, this would be a good place for kind of the cave. Got to go there and change. Got to transform. And uh, so I just made it up because I'd been there. I could describe the rocks. I could describe the mountains. I could describe the architecture. So I put it in there. They blacked it all out. And it's, I totally made up. They blacked it all out. But... They left in by accident the uh, uh, the capital of that country. Check. So I blacked it out for them, knowing oh, the intent. Yeah, 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 yeah. Knowing their intent, I took uh, it out for them. But they missed that. They took out the type of architecture. They took out the mountains. They took oh, out any reference to the country, which is so strange. But they left in by accident the capital. So, and so you know I what that means, right? Yeah. yeah that exactly. means somebody else was up in that cave getting <laughs> exactly. their retransformation going on. <laughs> yep. <laughs> exactly. Truth so is true. stranger than fiction. Yeah. But that's good. That's another selling point in a way when you can say, this like I'm revealing in this book what the government didn't want you to see yep. factually. Yeah, yep. exactly. So yeah, yeah, the paperback. Yeah, yeah. Yep. We'll see how it goes. Cool, man. Well, one day, what did you revisit jujitsu or what? I so mean, I know you're doing ooh, these hard exercises. About to take heavies right now. I know. I know. So I dabbled through the years, um, yeah. but uh, essentially what I did up until '95. That's really my base, yeah. and I got a. I'm, I 
obviously I shoot, well, not obviously. So I shoot all the time, stay in shape, that sort of thing. But uh, the jujitsu is wherever I am right now. That is where my martial ground fighting skills are going to remain. Um, wait, wait, why are you committing to that right yeah, now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like one, the spine commitment. surgery. Oh, two, yeah. uh, two, just time-wise and knowing where my focus needs to be right now. What so, do you think is um, worse for your spine? Clean and jerks or grappling? Clean and jerks. I'm gonna have to agree. Really? I, mean, I love yeah, clean and jerks. Oh, yeah. and I don't. I don't actually yeah. think clean and jerks are bad for your spine. I think they're yeah. good for your spine. But we'll grappling. Say it's yeah. more and you actually. That's the. This is to delve into how you get your information for your little books, mm-hmm. right? Oh yeah. You sent me a text, or whatever, like two years ago. Hey, if a guy was in Virginia, wanted to train with like the best on the East Coast, where would he go and train? Yep. You sent me that text. I'm like. Send him to Henzo Gracie. Yep, sure did. He got right back to me. I appreciated yeah. it, and uh, it went right in the book. I'm That's like, hey, the easiest nice. research you've ever done. Oh, it's great. Text yeah. Jocko. Perfect. Yep, and it made it right in the book, and then I moved on. Bro, I feel um, bad when people text me and I don't text them back like right away. Oh, really? So then you you must feel real bad with me then. Well, yeah, I do. You know, the yeah, whole sometimes. right away thing is real foreign. To I me, t- but sometimes it just doesn't like getting a lot of texts, and like you got to sit there and. You know, but I try and text people back eventually, eventually. or you might need to hit me with a little follow reminder. Up. You'll follow up. Yeah, man. I dig <laughs> it. Well, hey, um, well, doing jujitsu and peaking at 95, staying there is better than not taking jujitsu and not peaking yeah. at all. The kids were in it. Yeah, right away. Oh, Daughter in it uh, from maybe age four. Oh, just oh, in the game that. right now. In we yeah, oh, yeah. Park well, City, she's, she's not. not. Yeah. Oh. So now See, that we're in. we need to talk, bro. Yeah, so she's uh, into snowboarding now and tennis. So cool. she turned 13. That's cool and so everything. But. I think age 11 or maybe 12. 11, I think she might have stopped. Uh, she kind of, yeah. Uh, it's tough. We need that to was tough. The game. Yeah. Is there jujitsu in Park City? I know there's full on jujitsu in Utah. You got yes. Pedro Sauer up there. Oh, yeah. You got all kinds of good jujitsu people up in Salt Lake City. Yeah, for sure. Yes. Yep. No, we sure do. And there's one. I think Pedro Sauer has. I think a and a little offsite in Park oh, City. Probably. Maybe he did. So uh, of course we checked it out before the move. Uh, they've moved since, so I haven't followed where they moved to. But I think there's one still there. Um, but cause it was important to me because at the time we moved, my daughter was still in it. Mm-hmm. Our little guy was in it. Uh, our eight year old, now eight year old. Um, so it was important to me that there was jujitsu where we were moving. And uh, but now that we moved, I would get there and it's gone. It's just like an empty space. So I think it's still there somewhere. But the kids, you know, they're doing their other things. Unfortunately, you know, Got the skiing. Yeah, there's a lot to do. A lot yeah. to do up there. But uh, but you know, I dabbled over the, over the years. Was still doing it. While I was in Nopso. Or NNXO is right before I got out um, in Coronado because it was right there. I'd go at lunch and roll with some guys. But, I'll do uh, some research. Dang, I'll figure good. out where we can get you get you and your family back in the game up in up in uh, Park City because I I I personally feel like guilty to have your family not training to have you not training. Yeah, me too. We a need little to get bit. that squared away. I know you're taking Jack, some extreme ownership Jack right there. Jack Carr, you're yeah. taking some extreme ownership Reese, of that. Reese needs Reese. to be getting in the game. Yeah, in the Reese story, needs to be, you know, yeah, the fictionalized. Yeah, James Reese is on it. Yeah, he's that's in, what he's I'm training saying. Jiu-jitsu. But you gotta get. You know, you talk about transferring those emotions, right? Yeah, from real world. Oh, I remember how. I remember what arts. it feels like to get you know just just thrown around the mat, and yeah. the floor wiped. With, you know, yeah. I was worried. That's why I didn't tell you I was coming in last night. Yeah, I noticed. I didn't. I was worried. That I'd be up at three something, getting just destroyed yeah, on the mat in here. Justice. Yeah. Well, Jocko's <laughs> so, knee is out, so you know. Either that, way, that knee is rapidly, yeah, approaching. Yeah, and it's been rapidly approaching for a long time. Status. On that one, so <laughs> all good, and we're gonna look forward to that. So back to jujitsu. When you get back into jujitsu, you're gonna need a gi 
Or if you're getting into jujitsu for the first time, you're going to need a gi. Do gi, no gi, do both. That's the best, 100%, by the way. Especially if you're in Park City, Utah. If you get in a fight in Park City, Utah, the other person is almost guaranteed to be wearing a gi type outfit. Yeah, that's true, huh? Straight up wearing a jacket. Good point. Straight up wearing a a North Face (laughs) parka, right? (laughs) Just Patagonia, boom. It's very possible. You ever grab the lapel on a Patagonia jacket? Yeah, let's get some of that. <laughs> What's a Patagonia jacket? It's just a jacket. It's like a parka. This really? is another. I had to explain to him what a parka was on oh, one podcast. Wow, he's yeah. from Hawaii. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. I never heard of that, but <laughs> nonetheless, sounds yeah. nice. Sounds good. Uh, similar to a gi top. Good. All right, we're gonna do gi. What kind of gi we're gonna get? Do you know? I know. Jack Origin. Or, origin gi <laughs> yep. made in There's America. Hundred percent. There's only, only one. one. Best one in the world. Why would you not get the best one in the world? There's no 100%. reason. Hundred percent get the best one in the world. Is it yeah. is it because the best one costs five times more than the not best one? No. Oh, or is it all this case. the same? No, same. Same cost. Well, you can choose. You can grab the the, the big deluxe. Uh, what do you call What's the word you always use? Not always. But Premium? You did. Oh, no. Luxurious, I think. Luxurious. Unless mm. you can grab that one if you want. Good. Good. Up yeah, to you. Origin keys have various, uh, uh, what do you call, like options. Of keys. All made in America, though, by the way. Speaking of made in America, you get other clothes made in America, mm-hmm. namely t shirts, yeah, sure, but also sweatshirts, yeah, and also newest, latest jeans. Which jeans. I have some on the way, by the way. I'm oh, happy I'm to sure announce finally B Little, we teamed up. We yeah, teamed up. You, you know, the, just we're in a flank. But we're assault. in a secondary group, me and B Little, hmm. Brian Littlefield. Um, and you know we're we're tight. We're in the game, whatever, right? But we're always last to get the cool new stuff. Jocko always first. Pete always first, <laughs> right? Us always. We're not even second. We're not Man. even third. We're last every time. Nonetheless, we banded together, and now I have a pair of Origin jeans made in America, American denim jeans on the way to me. So nice. Cool. Happy to announce that one to everyone. Also, rash guards, of course, other jujitsu stuff as well. Also, su- supplements. Mm-hmm. The most important kind of supplements. Boom. Joints keep you in the game. Protein keep you in the game. It's delicious, Jocko by white the way. tea Is Jocko White Tea a supplement? Yes. It is yeah, because it has to be a supplement because what else would give you an 8,000-pound deadlift? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. <laughs> Nothing. And Nothing. it's certified organic, so the whole WADA thing. No, no How do you like your first Jocko White Tea? Was I love first it. Jocko white yep, tea? I couldn't do the podcast without having one. Well, so. most people, some people don't. It's not sweet. You know, there's no sugar in there. Nope. It's just tea. It's great, but it tastes. But it has the pomegranate little fruitness to it. A little it, bit right? keeps little you wanting more. Yeah, makes you want more. Yeah. No, I'm a big fan. Yeah. I'm a big fan. I'm have to. You know what you should get do? Some of this in Park deadlift City. and then go right. Because whenever I whenever I write, that's guaranteed. Right that's guaranteed. Like at least 300 words coming coming at you live. Ooh, Easy, smooth. Nice. Just rubbing it off your fingertips. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Into the computer. I've got my marching orders. Yep. Also, discipline, by the way, speaking of writing, oh, that's a good one. I found, and I don't write as much as you. You might not have known that, but you know. But I make these videos every once in a while. If you're on the discipline, videos are you, awesome. even that kind of comes a lot easier boom, oh, boom, yeah. when you're doing it. Yeah, so stay my on favorite that. one, we lie to ourselves. Yeah, that's my oh, favorite. yeah. That's yeah my that favorite. is a good one. That is a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah your representation of yeah, yourself yeah can't grow otherwise it's true it's absolutely yeah. true but yeah discipline that's a good one and discipline go if you don't want to you know mix it up and do all that stuff if you're on the go essentially mm-hmm. right that's that's the way it goes 
Unless you just hit some of that, and then you Makes get sense. Mulk. And then you just go. You get mulk, which is additional protein yeah. for your life. Because we all know we're eating steak. Yes, we're eating chicken. Some people are eating sushi. Yes, sir, we are. A lot of sushi. That all gives you protein, which is good. Sometimes you need a little bit more. Or sometimes you just want to eat dessert. Dessert, yes. Straight up. Have you tried the... I have not yeah. yet. So I'm looking forward to it, yeah, though. Just, just it's ridiculous. You ever had a Nestle's strawberry quick? <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's been a long time. Though. I, I'm, yep. Did you like it? I was yes. I like the chocolate one. I think though. Okay, you like the chocolate. I like chocolate. That's cool. Yep. Some people are like that. Remember, I tried them both, but I go back to the chocolate. Yeah, the strawberry Slayer milk tastes absolutely delicious. And then we have Warrior Kid milk. So for your I kids, that. yeah, yep, it's totally good to go. I keep meaning to get that too because our kids, man, they do not. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because your of that. kids want to eat cake, mm-hmm. they want to drink Nestle's nope. Quick. Oh yeah, because it's tasty. It's delicious. They don't have to do that. Nope. They can get protein. I'm gonna get some of those they for get sure. No sugar. Yeah. What's up? And it tastes delicious. All right, cool, cool. Yep. So there's that. Or your kid milk, milk, and then if you want like this shirt that Echo's wearing, this good shirt, it's the second then one, you can go to. Our store collectively, everyone's. It's not your This isn't not, no, because you keep calling it my store. It's not my store. Well, it has your name in it. So yeah, no, but everybody goes there. Gotcha. It's not just me in the store by myself. You are the correct, store is yeah. for everyone. Yep, right? that is true. Yes. It's not your store. It's not my store. It's our store collectively as a group. Is it Jack Carr's store too? Board, yeah, absolutely. Damn right, huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So that is at jockostore.com if you want to represent on this path, right? Discipline equals freedom. The yeah. good mentality, right? Looking for the good in the bad, quote unquote bad. I get it. You know, whatever. You want to represent to. Fulton, that's where you get your hey, stuff. Speaking of which, mm-hmm. you were talking Jocko White T. I don't know if you saw this Tam, Tom Clancy uh, fan that you are. Did you see that in the latest Tom Clancy novel? The uh, Jack Ryan, you know what he drinks? Oh, I saw this. Yeah. I saw, but I didn't read it, but I saw it. Somebody yeah. posted about it. I yes. took a picture and put yes. it up there. Yeah. Jocko White I saw T. That. Yep. Jack Ryan's in the game. We're wondering what James Reese is going to be drinking in book three. You're going to have to stand by <laughs> and find out. Yeah. What gi is he going to be wearing? You. I know what gi is going to be wearing. Yeah. yeah well, he's definitely, we know what gi is going to be wearing. <laughs> like the Warrior Kid 3 book. You know what awesome. You know what gi is being worn? Origin. Nice. Yeah. Jack. Love it. Boom, there you go. So, yeah, everybody's representing. So, yeah, you want to represent, even if you're already representing, you want to re-represent, represent more, jockostore.com. Boom, hoodies, T-shirts, rash guards, hats, everything, patches, everything. Subscribe to this podcast so you can hear Jack Carr and others talking about their experiences. And then leave reviews so that I can laugh at your funny reviews. Yeah. Or be like, do, you ever head nod to your computer? <laughs> <laughs> like, you're looking at your computer, you read... You read a, a solid review, and mm-hmm. you just give that review a little, a little like head nod. Actually, little, nod. a little head nod for that thing. Good. Like yeah. somebody wrote a damn good review the other day, and I read it. And I was like, you know, yeah. gave yeah. him one of those physical, nice. physical Dude, movement good, at man. my computer. Yeah. It's eleven o'clock at night. Yeah. What am I doing reading reviews? Trying to go to sleep. You're talking about how you have no problem going to sleep. Sometimes I do. No, I, I have some trouble going to sleep. Well, I have trouble going to sleep. Not wait. It's it's, oh. uh, it's trouble waking up. Oh, yeah. Oh, you have trouble waking up. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd rather sleep in. Oh, okay. But uh, but I do get up. Uh, well, that five a.m. It comes quick. Yeah. At five a.m. and not at three a.m. like you, but five a.m. Yeah. Meet the guys at five thirty. Yeah. Knock it out. Home at seven. Help with the kids. Then start writing. Check. Yeah, no, that's solid right there. Yeah. If you remind me, we'll, we'll get some stuff for your crew up there. Nice. Get them in the game. Awesome. Yeah. Good. Yeah, absolutely. The Love head it. nod, that's like level one, um, like re, like 
what do you call like there's base level respect mm-hmm. right there's extra respect and then there's the ceiling above the ceiling there's level one respect when your physical head nods for computer yeah level two <laughs> claps claps for you, you see what i'm saying you, you clap for the for the performer no nah, right? but the, that's that's different bro no you're no, not, no. I, I would never in a million years clap at my computer i know because i don't think i don't know man. That's, bro, that's level two but <laughs> someone's gonna come up with it like a review or something and it'll warrant a clap that's that's my that's uh, contention okay yeah. you know? cool. i had a good one i nodded yesterday did a little head nod <laughs> yeah your me. computer yeah somebody wrote uh jack carr has a graduate degree in the art of war oh and i was man. like yeah, I liked it. I was like, yep. give positive head nod. Positive head nod. Yeah. Yep. Jack, look at someone you. else said one about uh, them up. Yeah, I know someone else wrote one about it. If John Wick, the Punisher, and somebody else had a child, it would be James Reese. I'm like, yeah, it's going. Yep. Uh, Check this out. Head nod worthy, hundred percent. Yep. Yeah, man. So yeah, subscribe, man. If you're into it and you want to write a review, do it. Also, don't forget about Worry Kid Podcast, which is not dead. No, it's 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 being um, resurrected. Well, well it was not, it was not, never it's dead, not so dead. it's not resurrected. No. Yeah, yeah. It is alive and well. Yeah. However, there hasn't been a lot of new additions lately, but yeah. they're coming. Okay. They're coming. Boom. There you go. I, so I was I was mentally that. going through possibilities for the next story from Uncle Jake. Right. So, yeah. So the pendulum was just away. Yeah, yeah. The pendulum's away from I Warrior Kid that. podcast. Yeah. yeah. Actually, now that book eight is almost wrapped, that's that's where the that's what the Prioritize and execute is I was on. Just gonna say it. You beat me to it. Yeah. I was waiting to get Boom. in there with prioritize and execute. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. Yeah, that's so good. that's a Warrior Kid podcast. And and if you want to support a Warrior Kid, then you can get some Jocko soap. Yeah, man. Warrior Kid soap from IrishOaksRanch.com. Young Aiden, Warrior Kid, making soap. And don't forget about YouTube channel. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and click. Bruh, what are they supposed bruh, to say? You can't say that. <laughs> what do they say? Okay. That, I think they say okay. like, subscribe, and no wait, yeah, something like There's that. There's some other thing that you're supposed to do. Yeah, if subscribe. you're that. Okay, so anyways, like, check share, out the YouTube share. channel. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you want to do those things, whatever, and that's where you can get echoes, echoes videos that he spends allegedly so much time making, but and, and they come out once every every four years mm-hmm. like the olympics yeah. <laughs> like the <laughs> winter olympics in park city that's it every four years a good video is going to come out whatever jack car likes them so boom i do yeah, i reposted that one yeah. boom reposted we lie yeah. to ourselves yeah. boom mm-hmm. there you go see thanks thanks for that by the way All right. also psychological Absolutely. warfare go ahead no i'm giving it to you i put your name there psychological warfare if you don't know what that is this is what it is it's an album with tracks Jocko tracks. Oh, anyway, he, he on those tracks he tells you how to get through moments of weakness, like if you're about to eat the wrong thing, because for the short term, because the short game, long game. I, if think you're I need go- to listen to this, bro. Yeah, yeah. and it 100 percent works. By the way, so if you're like, okay, I'm gonna, okay, in life, this is what I learned. It's one of the biggest things. People ask me this all the time. I would say literally anyone who has questions, quote unquote, for me, this is one of the questions they'll ask. What's the biggest thing you learned from Jocko? I'll tell you right now. Here it is. If you look at things short-term versus long-term, small picture, big picture, oh, and then there's like another one, whatever. But either way, it's all the same thing, short-term. So in psychological warfare, if you're going short game, if you're going to start playing the short game for that moment, this will this. If you're going to lose you. the short game in the moment. Oh, yes. I see what you're saying. If you're going to if you're going to take a short-term path short-term. that's going to have immediate gratification, yes. but it's a long-term down. Yes, exactly mm-hmm. right. And most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, short-term, if you play short short game, you lose the long game. 
with that play. It's like you take a short-term step forward and take a long step back. It's one of those deals. Oh. Usually you can break things down into that. So this what this does. I'm getting that because I, I need to li- listen to that while I'm at Whole Foods, and I'm getting up there ready to get to that register, oh. and they have those and peanut they, butter cups. Oh. The all-natural. Yeah, they, they, they throw all-natural on them. They like, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all-natural. Like, it's better than that orange Reese's. I'm so going you know what else all is all-natural? Natural. Heroin is all-natural. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's the same thing. Man. What are we doing over yeah. here? Yeah, right. I just got to listen to that as I'm checking out. Right, that's perfect, actually, because you know? actually it's good because you can actually have it in the queue, you know, because nice. a lot of times, like, you're just in the pantry or wherever you are, and you're like, boom, I'm looking for the good stuff or whatever. Boom, I see the, the, the Oreos. Bro, my I can't just go, oh, let me queue it up. Sometimes it gets hard is what yeah. I'm saying. Bro, my son, okay, can drive now, right, which means he can go to the store, which means he can shop for food, That's right? Mm-hmm. We're talking 16-year-old boy. What yeah. does he get at the store? Reese's. Just, we're talking just. All natural ones? Oh, oh, he just gets crazy, <laughs> yeah. you know? So yes. good. He'll, he'll be like, I'm hungry, going to the store. Comes home, what does he come home with? Half gallon of whatever, yeah. ice cream. Makes sense. Because, you, yeah. know, you know, the supermarkets, they, they, they formulate or they design yeah. the store and the product a yeah. certain way. Yeah. So, like, boom, boom. That's why they put the Reese's peanut butter right at the, at right the checkout. They call them impulse buys, right? Mm-hmm. And that goes for everything. Little magazines and balloons and all that, these little things. You know things. what that is? That's their psychological warfare. Yes, sir, That's it what is. it is. 100%. It's their psychological warfare. That is and you got to combat that. Yeah. With psychological warfare. With chocolate psychological yeah. warfare. It's like they're but flanking me. They're, they're flanking oh, me. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. I can avoid the aisle. From I can the avoid beginning. the aisle. Yeah, yeah. You can skip that whole snack yep, aisle. You're not even I gotta going check down there. Out. But you got to yeah. check out. got to check out. It's and true. that's why they got them. That's your weakness, bro. They're so good. Yeah. But that's so what good. your boy is essentially falling for. When he goes in, no, he's no, like, no, no, hey, no, I'm no, gonna no, go. no, 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 That's where you're wrong. He's not going up there on <laughs> the impulse buy. Yeah, yeah, no, he's going straight. He's leaving yeah, yeah. the house. <laughs> he's leaving the house, and he's thinking, yeah, you know, Briars. Yeah, you know? yeah, gotcha. Okay, <laughs> that's where that he's at, sense, dude. Yes, <laughs> he's he goes and gets <laughs> cakes. Like yeah. you, you know, the plan is because you know, honestly, the the ice cream thing has really taken a down hit at my house because milk, right? Because everyone's just kind of on the milk train. Yeah, that makes sense. But like, but. My son will get straight up chocolate chip cookies. Just yeah. that's what he did last night. That's why this is fresh in my mind. Comes home nine o'clock. Goes to the store at eight forty. Like we already ate dinner. Okay, where are you going? I'm just gonna go to the store. Yeah, and he's, he's only thinking already. about one thing. He's you not know, thinking about yeah. lettuce. Yeah. No, no, he's not, <laughs> he's not no. thinking about apples. He's thinking chocolate chip cookies. Yes. Coming yes. back yeah. with the big chunks in them. Like the pre-made? Yeah. yeah. Oh, and then this to go. evil yeah. little kid yeah. brings him into my house. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's a good way to get shanked, yeah. actually. Yeah, man. <laughs> he needs some of that psychological warfare. Yeah, yeah he does. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. Shank. Even though he probably gets it at home all the time. Hey, if you want to go visual, visual psychological warfare for yourself, check out flipsidecanvas.com. My brother, Dakota Meyer, who's awesome, veteran, Marine, Incredible guy started this company, uh, making art to hang on your wall, and you can. It says cool stuff on it, like good, like discipline equals freedom. He's got a whole array of different stuff, so check that out. Flipsidecanvas.com. And if you want him to make something, tweet him. Yeah. Tweet to Dakota Meyer. Say put this on a canvas. He'll figure it out. He'll make it happen. So true. Also on it. 
So you go to onnit.com slash Jocko. This is where you can get your kettlebells. You're getting kettlebells. You know Onnit, right? Oh, yeah. You've seen those I kettlebells? I've there before. Do you guys yeah. work out the home gym? Where are you guys working out no, at? No, no. We go down. It's really cool. They have a full-on like CrossFit-type setup at the gym, and there's an indoor track. Um, there's, it's, it's amazing. Okay, so oh, they had a pool track. right there, yeah, yeah, but it's uh, yeah. it's full-on like CrossFit-esque so style thing, and you can go get it. Yep. And Absolutely. they leave you alone. Yep. Good bowl. I was at in the gym the other day, yeah. and guess what? No chalk was allowed. Really? No, yeah. this is yeah. This what gym? W- yeah, this section. Like I'm not going to talk about it. Was it a hotel no, gym? No, no, no. Or so it was a it a was gym? a proper gym. Hey, it was a gym that had bumper plates. It was a gym that had six squat racks. Yeah, no, four wow. squat. No, six squat racks. I'm in this gym. No chalk. If they have bumpers, they and no had chalk, that's kettlebells. Weird. No that, chalk. Yeah, that's they had weird. pull-up bars. No chalk. That's weird. That's a real problem. Yeah. I can see like a you know. Hey, if you're no in twenty four hour fitness yeah, and you know. got the 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 universal machines or whatever that echoes out there jamming <laughs> bro, on. Bro, come on. <laughs> yeah, check. Anyway, not, nothing against universals, by the way, but you know, let's keep it real. Anyway, on it kettlebells, you yeah. see, you know, oh, whatever. Yeah. Yes, so that's where I get my kettlebells. Kettlebell routine in general is good. Do kettlebells? Of, yeah, oh yeah. What mo- did, as far as your spine and whatever, and I yeah. was going to ask you earlier, but what um, what does that like keep you from doing mainly? Well, I wake up, but it hurts all the time. But uh, every time I turn my head and I realize just how lucky I am that after twenty years and all those things, like that's all I have to deal with. Mm. So it's uh, it's mobility. It hurts. What whatever. kind of surgery did you get? But uh, C six, C seven, spine. They Fusion? went in and okay. uh, no, the military wanted to fuse me, but luckily I had a, got a second opinion, and they went in and shaved off a, a bone spur in there that was crushing a nerve that was making wow. my left arm. Was it like a frame crazy. anatomy? Ugh, I don't think they used that term. But, That's what I got. But uh, I have to go back. C six, C seven. Yeah. Yep, C six, C seven. Got to go back in there. But uh, every time it hurts, I'm just like, you know, there's guys out there for PTSD, sure. TBI, missing arms and legs, just destroyed, and uh, this is all I have. Yep. And, and hey, good. good. Yep. No, we'll and it. seriously, we'll that's, all day yep, long. absolutely. Um, so it doesn't really keep me from doing anything. It just reminds me. So right, I use right. it as a, hey, as a reminder that yeah, I'm very, yeah. very lucky, very fortunate. So you can, you can push it, but just not get nuts and yep. re-injure well, I still got, you know, I keep, try to keep up and anything I'm trying to take it easy on goes out the window. Right, right. Time. Yeah. No, just, just, just like, let's you. just roll, let's just roll at 20%. Yeah, yeah. Let's roll you know, light. I remember those. Let's yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not happening. So I remember. Well, yeah, good. Then kettlebells, right? I yep. mean, my point was you do kettlebells, you yep. get that functional strength back or whatever. Boom. Non- I mean, your back's not prohibiting. Boom, you're into kettlebells. Yep. Said. Absolutely. Almost every day when we're working out with the, oh, with, the, with the crew. Well, yeah. So, yeah, all my kettlebells, all on it, kettlebells. And, and, and we got some books. Was. If you want books, if you like books, first of all, The Terminal List and True Believer by Jack Carr. Check those out. Get into the, I believe you just said, like, the psychological minefield. Ooh, I like it. Of this dude, yeah, who's on the serious warpath already dead. Yep, get yep. some. Way the Warrior Kid three is out. It's live, and you can get that on Amazon.com. Where there's a will is the subtitle of that book. Find out what happens to young Mark. How Uncle Jake helps him out. Way the Warrior Kid one, and then Way the Warrior Kid two. Mark's mission. Those are also available. Mikey and the Dragons. You can get that one for. Any kid between the ages of zero and 150, and they're going to get something out of it. Yep. The Discipline Equals Freedom Field Manual, get that. That's what you want to get your kid that just graduated. That's what you want to get your employee that seems to be sliding off the track. That's what you want to get your friend that is letting themselves go down the slippery slope. Yes. Taking the short-term gratification on stuff. No, you get them the Discipline Equals Freedom Field Manual. 
The audio version of that is on iTunes, Amazon Music. It's an MP3 format. Then there's extreme ownership and the dichotomy of leadership where you can take these lessons from combat. Me and my brother Leif Babin wrote that book, those books, and how you can apply those lessons to your business, to your life. We got Echelon Front Leadership Consultancy and what we do is solve problems through leadership. We also have EF Online where you can you can continue to train leadership because you never master it. You never, ma- you never even really get good at it. It's you always have to be working at it. So EF Online, work at it. Work at it every day. Do you, what happens if you stop working out? Do you stay in shape? Echo Charles. Negative. What happens if you stop trying to become a good leader? Same. Same thing. Hmm. You go backwards. You get rusty you first. Get beyond rusty. Yeah. We're so talking catastrophic. You just lose it. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking yeah, you turn true, into huh? a leadership slob. Yes. You don't want, though. No, you want to be sharp. You want to be in tune. Yeah. I, I experience this because I get to see it all the time with the companies we work with. I, I see someone that's like really in the game and they're sharp. Yeah. Their, their, their leadership is sharp. And then all of a sudden they slack off for a while and they have a leadership problem and they handle it wrong. Right. Just like they couldn't max, they couldn't do 42 pull-ups like they could before. Now they're doing 32. Why? They haven't been training. Got to keep your leadership brain sharp. You ever done 42 pull-ups? No, I think my, mine was 30-something was my was my best, I think. Oh, that's still good, man, 30-something. But in high school when I was very, very light, I remember two sets of 20. I still remember yeah. that was my thing. Came home yeah. on that bike, two See, sets of 20. That's what's interesting. And that was getting ready for buds, essentially. That was high school. but So I still had a little time. But so yes, you still had time. I was still training for What it, I yeah. was going to say is, like, for me, getting ready for buds was I was like, bro, I did I did three sets of pull-ups today. Because we didn't know. I didn't <laughs> think, didn't I didn't know think you had to do 250 pull-ups per workout. Right. 350 pull-ups per workout. I didn't think of that. Uh-huh. It didn't even make sense to me. Right. It was 19, it was 1989, 1990. Wow. It was, there was no way to access this information. Nope. So, You're yeah. not going to be doing the same number of pull-ups as your class number. Yeah. Like, yeah. What? Yeah. How, how many? Yeah, that's I'm what a- we're going to do. Yeah. By the way, we're doing it tomorrow, too. Yeah, by the way, we're doing it after lunch. Yeah. Yep. So get some of that. So mm-hmm. that's the same thing. Physical, mental. Get your leadership mindset sharp. Keep it sharp. EF Online. If you want to come to the muster, you better sign up now because they're all sold out. They, they all sell out very quickly. Chicago sold out. Denver's heading that way. That's September 19th and 20th. And then Sydney, Australia, looking forward to that, coming down and meeting y'all people in Australia again. If you want to come to that, ExtremeOwnership.com and then EF Overwatch. If you are looking for someone in your company that knows how to lead, then check out EFOverwatch.com where we got special operators and we got combat aviation leaders that are transitioning into the civilian sector and can help you and your team using the principles of combat leadership that we write about in extreme ownership and the dichotomy of leadership. So, EFOverwatch.com. And if you want to hear more from us, if 500 hours of listening isn't enough, then we are on the interwebs, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Echoes at Echo Charles. I am at Jocko Willink. And Jack is at Jack Carr USA. Echo, anything else? Nothing else. Thank you, Jack Carr. Thank you guys so much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. I feel very fortunate that uh, getting out, we were able to kind of make the life we want 
on the outside, um, kind of defy a few odds along the way. And that's all because, because my wife, um, 19, coming up on 19 years Outstanding. this month. And, uh, and, uh, yeah. So because of her strength, raising those kids while I was away. Now I can tell about it a little bit and hopefully not mess it up. Um, getting into her routine, but, uh, yeah, no, she's amazing. Super strong. Love her with all my heart. My next, uh, this next mission in life really is all about her and them. That's awesome. Well, thanks once again for coming on and obviously thanks for your service well, to America. As with yours, you, my had, friend. You, had a, you had an awesome, awesome uh, run and you were deployed over and over and over again. And even though we joke about, you know, what a good time it is and we did have a good time. I know you had a good time, but at the same time, you know, you're making sacrifices, your family's home alone and, and that's huge. So thanks to you, thanks to your family, thanks to your wife for, for having the strength to deal with that and appreciate you and, and it's awesome to see what you're doing right now. Thanks brother, appreciate it. To anyone else that's listening that is serving right now or has served, thanks to you for keeping us free and to police and to law enforcement and firefighters and paramedics and EMTs and dispatchers and correctional officers and border patrol and secret service and all the first responders that are out there 24 hours a day and they're training and they're preparing and they're on call so that we can be safe here at home. Thanks to all of you for that service and for that sacrifice. And to everyone else that is listening. Remember that there's always somebody out there with their sights on you. And maybe it's a competitor in business. Maybe it's an enemy insurgent. Maybe it's some criminal thug. Maybe it's someone that's just looking to do harm to you or your family. Or maybe, maybe that someone is you. And maybe you're your own worst enemy sliding into the depths of complacency, allowing yourself to wander down the easy path. Say no to that. Remember why you're here. Remember what you want to do. Remember your cause. Be a true believer. And then live that belief by getting up every day and getting after it and until next time this is jack carr and echo and jocko